When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Coming up, we're going to talk about Brock Lesnar. He was supposed to be at Raw, but he didn't show up. What's going on there? We're going to talk about Fox Sports executives being right there, front row at Raw in Los Angeles. Sporting News came out with a report and really making it sound like Fox is going to make a play for WWE Raw and SmackDown. George Barrios had an amazing talk where he was half asleep, but he still gave us a lot of interesting tidbits on WWE's business. The New Japan World subscriber news, we got a little more detail on just how well New Japan subscribers did around Wrestle Kingdom 12. And PWG to go to a bigger venue. Talk about the story behind that. That's here on the free show, and if you go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, you become a subscriber there. You can listen to us through the bonus version of this show, where we talk about Mania Weekend ticket sales with all the various independent wrestling events that are happening in WrestleMania Weekend. We're going to talk about how the ticket sales are going for each of those events. WN and Flow Sports are embroiled in a lawsuit that's been dismissed, it looks like. We're going to have a CTE lawsuit update. WWE Pay-Per-View is coming to Australia, which has got all sorts of people happy as well as upset. And Raw and SmackDown will be in the Hindi language. We're excited about that. We're talking all of that. You can only get exclusively if you go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Get on our subscriber-only feed. Get all of that wrestling insight that you need. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana-Harrington, joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Mickey. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a very, very draining week. I appreciate you and David Bixen's fan filling in last week doing the show. Uh, how much notice did Dave have to do that show? Uh, less than 24 hours, I think. Okay. You guys had a, good, you guys had a ver- really good show. It was very entertaining. It was very fun to listen to, especially the first hour. Yeah. And it, I, I kind of was telling people that I had a lot of uh, things I was doing this week. And so as part of that, it was kind of fun to sit and drive around and I listened to the show and it was like having a a custom podcast, like an artisanal part podcast just for me. Just for you. Well, because half the topics were topics that I had put on kind of the sheet ahead of time. 
mm-hmm. and then you know it was topics about things that I that are for a show that I talk about. So I thought a lot about you know things like what is wrestling journalism and am I a journalist? Are you a journalist? Is is Bix a journalist? And so I enjoyed that talk a lot and uh, thought you guys did a really good job of exploring some different angles with it. And uh, of course, uh, I don't know if you got any other feedback about the show from anyone. Uh, everything I've heard has been good. Yeah, Bix was fresh off uh, being dunked on Twitter by Corey Graves. And we discussed wrestling journalism. That was last week's episode. You can go into the archives and check that out. Yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. it's real salt. And we thank Bix for, for jumping in on such short notice and talking with me for a whole two hours plus about everything in the world of professional wrestling business last week. Did you wrestle this week? I did not. No wrestling this weekend. Uh, I wrestled What about twice, last week? Twice last weekend in Fort Erie, Ontario, and then in Brockport. Uh, and did you take home the winner's purse at all? In Fort Erie, I did, yes. Took home the winner's purse. I think I'm going to be wrestling in Fort Erie regularly. We'll see how that all turns out. But yeah, and it's, it's so, a really easy drive for me. It's like right over the border. So, so it's in it's in Canada. Yeah, yeah. It's you you go over the Peace Bridge and you're there in like ten minutes. What uh what company is it? A new promotion called Border Town Pro Wrestling. There's a lot of, lot of new new promotions coming up, and you know that's one of them. Not to be confused with Border City Wrestling. Exactly. I wonder if they considered that, but yeah, it, this is not in Windsor. This is on the other bo- side of the. Well, it's on the other uh, the other border, not the Michigan and Ontario border, but the New York and Ontario border. Oh, excellent! And did uh, you you have a good match either night that you uh, were especially proud of? Uh, it was all right. I wrestled Sean Carr uh, in Brockport, and that was a decent match. And then uh, I wrestled with Terrell Kenneth, the Patriot Saints of Professional Wrestling. We wrestled Jordan Falco and Nick Merrick, and it was all right. We we, we won that one. Yeah. Oh, good. And and what does a vegan have as a victory dinner? Like I was going to say, you got the big steak dinner afterwards, but of course you 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 do not eat steak. So what 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 is that uh, luxury food for that winner's purse? Well, you go home and you take a, a scoop of protein powder. You take a bunch of broccoli and put it in a blender and you blend that all up and maybe you know throw in things like nutritional yeast and cinnamon and ground up golden flaxseed. Yeah. So, so how can someone tell when you are rewarding yourself versus punishing yourself? In yeah. by I food. Bought, now, now I bought ice cream yesterday. There's I live across the street from an ice cream place. I don't know what you would call it. Ice an ice creamery. Yeah, I live across the street from Jamie's Ice Cream, so they're not even paying us. But I live right across the street from there, and uh, they've been they have like a, a like a, a digiboard strip on on one of their windows, and, and it's been like rolling this red text that says vegan orange chocolate ice cream so i went in there last night and uh i i had to meet somebody to get, give them tickets but uh so i figured well i'll give them my patronage and i went in there and i was like i want the vegan orange chocolate ice cream and they were like uh hang on a second let me make sure it's the vegan one no they didn't we don't have it it's just the regular kind did you want that <laughs> like no it's fine it's all right like actually but we have vegan vanilla ice cream i was like okay yeah i'll have that so that's what i have i had some of it yesterday not all of it <laughs> still in the freezer all right so uh that was a a experience for you to uh there we go these glimpses incidents into the life of brandon thurston yeah brandon gets ice cream that's pretty exciting um i've been uh, off last week i appreciate you covering for me um as i explained on twitter what had happened is my brother-in-law um, died last week. He, my, it's been a, a whirlwind week on Friday. So last Friday, which would have been, gosh, what date was that? 
feels like an eon ago. I was in, in Fort Erie. He texted me. Yeah, so on the 23rd of February, my wife announced that she was going to run for political office here in the state of Minnesota in uh, District 66B and challenged the incumbent for the endorsement uh, in the House race for the Minnesota House. And so that was really, really exciting for us. Um, she, she had been you – know, we'd been discussing it that week, but she formally launched her campaign on that Friday, the 23rd. And then on the 24th, uh, while my wife was out taking pictures actually at, at one of the, the libraries in the area, um, her father called me and we learned that my brother-in-law had taken his own life and had uh, – was dead. So we had a <laughs> very challenging week here of um, dealing with everything that came out of that. Uh, unfortunately, my my brother-in-law was a, uh, a Marine. He played in the Marine Corps Band, and uh, he served in Iraq and Kuwait. And uh, based on everything that we know and, and, you know, what was happening is that he was in a lot more pain than he ever really talked about or showed on the outside. And we weren't aware of how much that struggle was going on for him. And so after a... Um, He'd gone to the VA for a couple days here, and then he checked out of the VA and uh, died in the parking lot. And so that's been very, very traumatic for everyone, obviously, because it was very sudden. It was very unexpected, and it was um, not something that uh, I think any of us had had really seen happening. He he was always a person of extremes because he, he very much would get very into things. So he's really into rock climbing or he's really into Robert Goulet music or he's really into all sorts of different things. And, um, he, you know, he loved to ride his motorcycle for years there. And so there was always kind of a thought of, OK, maybe he's going to get hurt in, in a motorcycle accident or he got really into extreme camping this year. So he was into, you know, wait till it gets below zero and then I'm going to go out camping for several days and see, you know, how long I can take it out there. So he, he was someone who, who did those sort of things. And so I always thought if he was going to get hurt, it would be in one of those sort of things. Um, but it, it's my wife's brother. And so it was very, very tough for her, obviously, to to lose her little brother. And her parents were just devastated. And so it's been, um, you know, it's just so many things you have to deal with. Then you have to deal with stuff. You have to deal with uh, the service. You have to deal with setting up visitation. You have to deal with uh, getting the car back, getting the car cleaned. You have to deal with uh, insurance. You have to deal with uh, all the legal papers. And, uh, you know, there's just so many things work in bank accounts and you, you it just goes near and near you. So, yeah, so he, uh, he finished his military service, um, probably 2007, I think it was after a four year stint. And then he lived in Minnesota. He moved to North Carolina for a little while. Then he moved back to Minnesota and he's been back here in Minnesota for probably six years or something. So I would see him many times a year, um, you know, sometimes even once a month or more, because every time the family got together with his her parent, my wife's parents that lived around here. So we did a lot um, of events together, especially between Thanksgiving and and uh, kind of my birthday. There was like this stretch where it was Thanksgiving and then it was his birthday. Then it was her father's birthday. Then it was Christmas. Then it was New Year's. Then it was my birthday. And then <laughs> there was like one more uh, event in there. And so it was just like, you know, I'd, I'd see these people five or six times in a two month span a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been out here for 11 years 
Um, I've been married for 11 years and I've been out here actually for 12 years. And so, yeah, I've, I've been around, you know, for years and years. And, you know, my, my brother-in-law was, was quite a smart ass. He was, he enjoyed, he enjoyed pushing people's buttons. He enjoyed being, um, you know, uh, being, being, uh, trying to trying to question why things were the way they were so you know he would go to a bar and say can i have this drink and they'd be like well we don't have that and he'd be like well you have the ingredients let's make it i'll tell you how here's how you do it and so it's just just the way he was and so you know there, there was times that i i got along great with him and there's times that it was really complicated with him and so i was you know i was really excited that he was going back to work after he's he got into a bad car accident about a year ago and so he had to be off work for a year because of all of his injuries and so I think that concussion and that that trauma there really contributed to a lot of the stress that was going on in his life. And obviously his illness got very, 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 very bad to the point that, you know, in the end, his illness took him. And so we're very, very sad about that. We're very, you know, it's tough. And like I say, it was one day after my wife announced her candidacy. Um, She was going to take the bar on Tuesday uh, for law. So it was already going to be a very stressful time for us because she was, she had a lot on her plate. And so we had to put everything on hold to to deal with all of this. And so that was really, um, you know, it's just I've been nonstop all week. I was very lucky that my job was able to give me the week off. So and my parents came in from Rochester and uh, I spent, you know, the whole week just driving around, going to places, setting things up, taking them down talking to you know various agencies and moving a lot of things in storage units and and uh, my parents helped me get all the clothes cleaned which is great just because you know there's just a lot of tasks that that happen in these situations and you know people don't really know how to help out but I can always tell you things that help a lot is when you can provide service like cleaning people's clothes or driving people places or picking up things and moving them um, that's really important. Uh, Bite Squad gift cards have been really helpful because it's just really tough sometimes to find the time to cook. You know, after the visitation, three to eight, then you get done and you still haven't ate. That's that's kind of exhausting. So that was really good. And, uh, you know, I, I put some messages on Twitter and people have been very empathetic. And, you know, a lot of people reached out, you know, m- more than 100 people reached out to me, I think, in different ways. And in, including a lot of people that I, I had no idea were, you know, this was on their radar in any way. So I really appreciate everyone who did that. And uh, it's, it's you know, a process with all of this. And so we, uh, we, we very much appreciate that. If anyone would like to send a card to my wife or and her family, um, I will post something on Twitter kind of with the address. And people are more than welcome to do that. It's, it's greatly appreciated. I think the family really, you know, just Justin – um, was my brother-in-law's name and Justin uh, was very gregarious but he he really only kept a very small group of friends you know he had one friend since he was four years old and he was going to be the best man in his wedding next month so you know it's just it's tough but it's it's one of those where the family I think was really afraid that you know what if no one comes to this what if no one cares and we we you know you, you tell people that no people care people love you people people care but it's you know sometimes it's hard to say that until they see it and so they were very touched to see that this week but at the same time you know cards and things like that help reinforce that and you know it brings people a smile to their face to uh to receive those things so we appreciate all of that and we appreciate the uh you know someone sent us godiva chocolate and so last night my wife and I and my parents had some port and chocolate and that was really great. So, you know, it's simple things like that that can be really um, life affirming or fun or, or nice. And, and I got to spend a whole week with my parents, which was really nice. Um, I'm glad that my wife 
really pushed to have them come out and they helped a ton clean my basement and clean my in-laws uh you know place and so that it's it's tough to deal with stuff that's all i can say is that there's so many things that you deal with when you know someone is is only 33 years old and uh is has all their things and disappears very suddenly so i appreciate everyone being so sympathetic and empathetic and uh you know we'll probably i'll probably talk about it more on the show another time but uh just know that that's why i was missing last week and that's what uh you know i'm working on now and and uh, if people have other things or suggestions or ideas for you know a good music charity maybe also involving veterans that would be really great for us uh we're always interested in that because he he was a musician foremost and he also you know i think his his time in iraq led to a lot of ptsd for him so that was really tough so incredibly heartbreaking i'm glad there were people there to uh to help you out a little bit um oh yeah if, so, like funny enough, like a, a few days after you, you you messaged me that that happened, one one of my good friends, uh, his brother, uh, passed away suddenly, uh, who was going through a lot of PTSD as well. So, just like two 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 people who you know two people close to the people who I know well, you know that's it's, it's you know affecting people one right after another, I guess. And like you know, I, I was in the Air Force for about six years, and I I'm aware of two people from my basic training flight who have committed suicide. So it's like, you know, what is going on? Oh yeah. I mean, and then it's, it's just even other, other kinds of head trauma, right? So it's like he was in a car accident. He got a concussion at that time and, you know, his state, I didn't think deteriorated, but you know, it's hard to say, did that contribute to it or not? And so just all the stuff we talk about with wrestling and head trauma, you know, I, I don't think it's possible to look at the number of wrestlers who have died um, by suicide and not in some way think that there might be some link to the amount of time some of these people had concussions and head trauma and other other kind of, of things that made their illness just continue to, to eat away at them. Right. So, yeah, so I, you know, I probably should have told people to, you know, trigger warning or something at the beginning of this, but uh, just so they understand that's that's where it is and that's what's going on and, and uh, just wanted to be open and honest about it. It doesn't you know, sometimes it bothers me to talk about it, but it's good to talk about it. So it's better to do it here than anywhere else, I think. So I've been out of the loop here since um, Saturday at 2 p.m. when I got the call. Uh, I have barely uh, been online. I, I went online for about one hour on maybe Wednesday night. I had an hour and I figured out that the flow slam uh, lawsuit was over and I posted that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of comical to me because I don't know if anyone else posted that before I pu- I put that up, and it was just one of those where I thought, wow, I'm I you know yeah, pick up the slack, guys, come on, some you breaking news on Twitter. <laughs> I broke it on Twitter, and then I was just like, I gotta go, guys. So it's just kind of funny sometimes. That, well, well Dix had an article for Fightful on it, I believe. Did he already at the time? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the timing was related to when you tweeted it, but oh, see, you got to figure out who broke this. Got to you got to get the credit right. That's how you get all the clicks. Yeah, yeah. Well, who who broke it was really the uh, what the is this a federal case? No, it sure is. So Pacer Pacer broke it mm-hmm. that day. Um, anyways, so that's so I'm I'm a little little out of the loop in terms of some of the things that have been happening with um, wrestling, except for yesterday I turned it on and saw Sammy Callahan nearly kill someone. Yeah, uh, and that was a, a whole other thing. But um, I haven't seen very much uh. 
else this week, so I might have to ask you more questions. I listened to a a call this morning, and so we'll get to that a little bit later. But tell me a little bit about Brock Lesnar. What's the deal going on with him? So Brock Lesnar was in Las Vegas on Sunday, which is where Elimination Chamber was happening. And uh, he did not appear at Elimination Chamber. He wasn't scheduled to, though. But he did appear on social media in a picture with Dana White, where Brock Lesnar himself was wearing a UFC t-shirt. But of course, this is, uh, you know, in the background of this is Brock Lesnar's contract is uh, rumored to expire after WrestleMania, and there's talk that he may leave WWE, he may resign with WWE, or he may go to the UFC. So he's apparently having a conversation with Dana White on the day of a WWE pay-per-view. The next day he was advertised to appear on Raw. He did not appear. Uh, I think it's still not really clear whether whether they decided to advertise him and then not deliver him to do this angle and to give Roman Reigns this opportunity to do a, a promo or, or what the deal really was. But you know, Roman Reigns came out and did a promo basically saying that, uh, you know, he's here every day and Brock Lesnar isn't, isn't here every day and he doesn't care. And it was, in my view, the most babyface, the most effective babyface promo that Roman Reigns has ever cut. I felt that uh, finally his interest, something that he feels, that he truly feels passionate about, aligned with something that Vince McMahon feels passionate about and aligned with something that the fans feel passionate about. And that's like, you're not here to be a, to represent pro wrestling, I felt, or in, in Roman Reigns and Vince McMahon's view, to represent WWE. But uh, but it's it's fascinating to me because Lesnar, when we got to this last cycle for him to sign with WWE, there was a real, is he going to do UFC or is he going to do WWE? And there was the whole talk of, okay, maybe he's even doing a camp. And then he decides, I can't do this. And he gets, didn't he get that ESPN kind of like, I get to announce live what I'm doing. And Day he announced WrestleMania 31, he announced that he was staying with WWE. Yeah, so then he announced he's staying. And and at that time, I think a lot of people really wrote off the idea that he would go back to UFC as a, as a contracted guy. Because he was getting older. You know, he's already, what, 42 or something? How old is Brock Lesnar these days? Let's see From here. Very early 30s. Brock Lesnar's age is 40 years old. He was born July 12th, uh, 1977. So he'll be 41 this year. So again, you know, coming into UFC at 41 years old, yes, as a big heavyweight, sometimes they have a little bit longer legs to them. They, they don't necessarily keep their um their ability to not get knocked out is so easily, but uh. You know, a lot of times that the name value still draws even into their 40s, but still for like a, a multi-year deal, there was a lot of questions at the last renewal cycle of, hey, we got a Rousey. I don't remember whether Connor had exploded by then. Probably not. But, you know, he was on the, the cusp. And then now it's like, well, Connor's been difficult to know how much you're going to have to pay him to get him to fight, even though he says he wants to. Rousey's gone to WWE. And, you know, there hasn't been necessarily a great succession of new stars coming in, even under the new management here. So, you know, in some ways, Brock Lesnar is in a great position um, of being able to get all this money. That said, he does have a pending lawsuit with Mark Hunt. He does have a drug test failure in UFC. He does have a UFC world where he would get drug tested. Um and so there's a lot of questions there about would he really want to go back to UFC, though it sounds like they might throw enough money at him that WWE will just say, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, you look at the situation in 2015, and I feel like if he was going to go back, he would have gone back then. And then we know what happened was WWE turned out to be willing to allow him to do a fight one-off. So my feeling from just looking at this thing from the outside is that 
Brock Lesnar is just trying to run up his price, trying to get a really good offer from UFC so he can take it back to WWE and say, meet it and I'll stay or something like that. Yeah, and I almost wonder if this time WWE might call his bluff to say, you know, look, you can go to UFC and you can get a three-fight deal and you can get suspended after fight number one and (laughs) come crawling back to to beg us and and retire again because he's got to quote-unquote unretire, I think. I don't know if you ever did that. Can you stay off clomiphene to actually have more than one fight? Yeah, that's my point is like, you know, he, he he's going to have a lot of hoops to jump through. And the the flip of that is, of course, with John Jones, you know, continuing to be in this weird position where he might also be out for a long time yeah. due to a USADA thing. Um, it, it just strikes you as one that, you know, he he has some leverage here. He could obviously get some big, big money from Bellator, but I don't see him necessarily cashing out to go to Bellator right now. Unless Bellator has a, a equal money to offer them. To offer yeah, him. I mean, he, he's been mostly ambivalent about it, but I, I do feel like he is smart enough to see legs to things where he says, you know, I want the good money, but I want the stability that's going to work out, especially as you get older here. You you want to burn less bridges because, you know, maybe maybe Dana still has the Vince mentality of I want what I can't have. But uh, at a certain point, you know, Dana always loved to not to, to write guys off forever. Yeah, but I feel like, like Dana's shown that he can he can get Lesnar even when he's under contract to WWE. This last time, for sure. For yeah. sure. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, you know, WWE playing it up, it it feels like so inside baseball to me that it's a waste because it's like I, I don't really know if it drives the fans wild beyond saying, you know, we we got a good Roman Reigns angle out of it. I like that element of it. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those where it's like make at least get a star over and always beware of, you know, sabotaging what's happening. We saw this with Cena and Rock and other things where, you know, people do these work shoots and, you know, either feelings get hurt and it get, doesn't go out the right way. Or when they want to work together, they've somehow diminished the value of that other performer because of their eagerness to demean them in a time of of, uh, of anger. <laughs> yeah, I may have dealt with some of that in my real life, but uh, uh, um, I don't know. So, I, I think I've, I've heard this adage that like if you shouldn't bury people, and especially you get this feeling if you watch like a lot of the old um, World Championship Wrestling TBS. Uh, promos where like you know Flair's doing things by the textbook where he's, he's putting over his opponents he's putting them over but also putting himself over and how he's better than them and you know there's this adage of like you shouldn't bury your opponent because if you bury your opponent then who do you, and you go and wrestle your opponent then you beat your opponent then who'd you beat you beat nobody um, but I think there's there's also this piece of advice I've heard I don't remember from who or where but I think there's s- some truth in in this that it's okay to to put somebody down if they're already over if the people already believe that they're a star then you can say bad things about them. If they're not really over yet, then you need to be more careful. So I, yeah, I, I guess how I, I think it applies in this situation is Brock Lesnar is obviously very over. And you, I think you can say certain things about him where it's it's a net positive. But the ego is what you have is so frail. It's it's not necessarily the drawing power, but it's the ego where you burn the bridges, where I think of the Hulk Hogan, you know, bash the beat, yeah, the, double the personal elements. Yes, that or The Rock with Cena. It's like it's not so much so that the fans are getting screwed or not getting screwed. It's that the the people that reach those kind of megastar levels oftentimes have such out of characteristic views of themselves that 
minute things can sometimes dig into them to make it a huge issue. So you're and saying it's Brock, like, Brock Lesnar may be listening to this Roman Reigns promo thinking, what, what, what's he saying about me? Fuck them or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, saying, you know, it, he, he's someone let's, let's not forget the long history of Brock Lesnar here. He's a guy who quit WWE and walked away from them and sued them. And then in the middle of that, basically started going to new Japan and rubbing it in their face. And and then what did he do with them? He walked away from that one because he got angry at them because they weren't meeting their obligations about how much they said they would pay him. So I feel like he's a guy that very much has that belief of if you say you're going to do blank, you need to do that and honor that agreement. And you never know what is that you know thing that they think it's it's okay to do and they don't. The other ones don't. Now, other people, of course, are bringing up the whole, oh, is Roman going to get busted by this steroid dealer who's in prison, who's got this comp compromat on him, you know, and I just think that is the most overblown thing. Um, you know, the idea that this guy is going to share something that is going to be that explosive or bad for Roman and that WWE is going to punish him in a real way. I think, you know, it's it's completely overblown. I think it's a great example of the Internet echo chamber. Of, you know, this is this is, you know, the same as salacious rumors, you know, like the old uh, 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 DVRD uh, rumor thread where, you know, you can put whatever you want on it and then it lives on in infamy for the rest of your life. And uh, it just seems to me like it's the sort of thing that it, it's easy to kind of overplay that one. So I, I in well, no way does have a wellness violation. He does, but even for that, the the story of what that wellness violation was allegedly was not related to steroids. It was related to more like you know uh, supposedly like amphetamines yeah, type but, but thing. But that, that itself is a rumor. Like we don't know that from any official source. We don't. We don't. Yeah. And so it's it, to me, it's just I don't know. It's 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 very weak to you know one is there's a difference between being popped for a drug test and being suspended, and having somebody else who gets arrested who then points the finger at you. And do you really think a guy like that keeps great records that he's going to be able to show? And do you think Roman Reigns is stupid enough to pay with personal checks? Is, is that the allegation that he's paying with personal no, checks? No, no, but I'm just saying, I, like, I like, like, if there was actual like, like, records. Yeah, like, I mean, famously, um, I, don't, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was a, um, a house, like a rental property, that I think the DSW guys were using. Do you, do you remember this story? No, this is Deep South Wrestling. Yeah, this is back in the Deep South days. And then, like, this, they, like, moved out. And, like, another guy moved in and found, like, prescription paperwork, like, shoved in some corner there. Um, I I want to say, allegedly, that it was Mike Knox that these, all these, like, or it was either Knox or Snitsky, where, like, it was, like, all these growth hormones, like, written out for. And it was, like, a mini, little mini scandal of being, like, why is these paperwork sitting in some guy's house? What state was, uh, this? was this in Georgia? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, this Maybe is... they're just this, raising horses, that's all. Yeah. This was a good, like, decade ago that this happened. I'm sure Bix will listen to the story and instantly remember the, remember the details and be able to point me in the right direction. But I, I just mean, like, that was a case where they at least could say, here's a prescription bottle with your name on it. That, you know, there we can connect this to you. There's nothing going to be like that in this Roman Reigns case with this guy. You know, this is going to be like a locker room transaction of a guy selling you something and it's in a bottle and and you're giving him cash. So I just I I just think that it's been funny because I've seen people want to make a big deal out of that and they wanted to, you know, make 
talk and say, are you going to talk about it? And it's just like, no, I, I, I guess I did. I guess I, I've already given the, the credence to the rumors here, but I do not see it blowing up in their face about Reigns. I do not see this as a situation where they put their faith in Roman Reigns and Roman Reigns is going to screw them in the end. Because even if they do produce a picture of the two of these two guys standing next to each other, I don't think that's going to be the smoking gun in such a way that WWE is going to flip their lid. Yeah, and you don't think they're going to produce an Excel spreadsheet with detailed records and transactions? I do not. I do not. <laughs> I do not get the feeling like that That was the organization that was executing at that time. Yeah. And uh, if, if it's just about making spreadsheets, I can give you a spreadsheet with all that stuff in it, and that makes it just as legitimate. That's right. But also um, at, at Raw, in the front row, is that where we're going here? Yes, Fox, yes. Some Fox Sports executives were right there. Watching Raw unfold, watching this uh, Ronda Rousey angle, and uh, everything else that happened on Raw. Who? Who was there? Who was there? Fox Sports President Eric Shanks, talent producer Jacob Allman, and of course the uh, the infamous Colin Cowherd, who uh, who hates Booker eating wrestling fans. Last we knew. Um, and wasn't there a guy like maybe I'm maybe it wasn't Colin Cowherd when when Owen Hart died and like and fell from the ceiling? Obviously, like. There was a guy who like made fun of it and like played the Tom Petty song and uh, like there was a, a turtleneck reference. This will all be nice ninety nine. Wasn't that yeah? Colin, wasn't that Colin that Coward 20, as well? Yeah, I have no idea what twenty years ago it was. Some uh, there was lots talk, of uh, person. Yeah, it Any, could have been anyway. Imus. It could have been anyone. Yeah, it wasn't Imus. I would, I would remember that. But <clears throat> but anyway, Colin Coward has said not so nice things about wrestling and wrestling fans in the past. But here he was, front row. Here he is on social media taking pictures. I think it's with Charlotte and, and Alexa Bliss or something. And uh, uh, Natty, I thought Natty, I Natty. That's yeah. right. So he he loves wrestling now. Forget all that stuff that he said in the past. Fox Sports looks like it's really interested in WWE. Yeah, this this was really intriguing to me, and this was something that you and Bix talked about in the show last week. And it, it wasn't that you were breaking new news that of of topics that we hadn't discussed before, but the way you framed it did make me think for the first time in a long time, hmm, Fox might have more legs to this thing than I, I've given it credit for. And what what I would kind of um, wonder is what would happen with UFC and Fox? Would they be going for the double whammy of UFC and WWE, or would they just be choosing one or the other? And so I, I also saw that you found an article that kind of made a reference to that. Not according to the Sporting News, because the Sporting News came out with an article the other day saying this this is i think the most newsworthy piece of uh, information in this article where it says if fox lands wwe look for the look for the network that is fox to likely end its relationship with the ufc said sources uh, and then they quote a source who says fox is definitely trying to get wwe they'll pass on ufc then use raw for fox for the broadcast network fox and fs1 for content so that that sounds like to me maybe raw on fox on the the big fox channel and then maybe smackdown on fs1 this is according to a source and i wonder news yeah i mean the one part of that article that kind of also gives me a little trigger you know like i don't know if this is all on the level is they mentioned the fox wanting i mean the ufc wanting the 400 million or whatever what number do they even quote in here that they're looking for quote the 400 and 400 million a year for their tv rights and everything i've heard is that that's the number they threw out there so that people would negotiate and no one thought they would i mean they would love to get it 
everyone would love to get it. They they weren't thinking that was the number they wanted to promise to make it sound like it's a great deal that, you know, it's only going up, 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 up. But the reality was they were never expecting that they could get a $400 million thing if no one bid immediately and no one bid immediately. You know, when they talk about Fox throwing out an offer during, I think they had an exclusive period that was closer to $200 million, that's much more in the range that I think people expect is it's going to go well above $200 million, 250 275 somewhere in there, but it's not going to go $400 million. And so there is a little part of me that says, I don't know, yes, Fox is not going to spend four hundred million on UFC and then turn around and spend two hundred and thirty-seven million on WWE. That is not going to happen. But what if you could get both UFC and WWE for five hundred? That's a very different story, right? So when they say, "Oh, they're not they're going to give up on one and go to the other," you could also see that as a negotiation tactic where they're trying to say, "Hey, look, UFC, we're not going to chase you on this. Here's the money. It's good money." But you know what? We got WWE down the road. We can replace you. So don't don't sit pretty and think that we need you in this situation. Um, so so what, what are they getting per year? When when we do the math, we like I know the, a lot of financial firms have said one point seven x, or maybe there's you know the dream of two x out there. But so what what is what what do we what is what are we multiplying by two or by one point seven? Two hundred million, three hundred million. For what WWE is at today, or what UFC started I guess, at? What I'm asking is, what what what's the annual number per year that NBC Universal is paying WWE? The annual number per year, and I know it's, that, it, it it changes with every year, but like, what's the number that we're actually doing the math with? Is it this year's number? Last uh, year's number? I mean, technically, what they do is they say when when they talk about that, they talk about an AAV, an annual annual value or a average annual value. So they kind of mean the middle of the deal money. Mm-hmm. So they will end you. USA is going to probably end their deal somewhere around 170 million, maybe 175, maybe a little higher. Um, I would have to, you know, dig a little bit more because there's obviously the Miz show and, and total divas and other things that have kind I'm of just talking raw and SmackDown, right? I know we'll know better next year when we, when they start breaking those numbers out for us. It's very hard right now to say what is the core value of the product. I would say the core value of the product is somewhere around $170 million at the end of this deal for WWE. So 170 and, times 1, 1. 1.7 is 289, 289 yeah, almost $300 but, million. But the average value of this last deal was about $140 million. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people are using 140 as the okay. average number. And that um, would be $238 million. Which is... What what didn't I say two thirty seven in my my estimate there? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where I'm kind of getting that number from in my head is the two two twenty five to two fifty range is kind of where I'm I'm sitting right now if I don't see escalators going through the roof for if USA Network was trying to get WWE to resign and they had normal competition. Now. Fox, on the other hand, this is a really interesting thing because um, there was a, a an interview that George Berrios did this week on the 28th. So that was going to be on um, Wednesday of this week. And I don't know if anyone covered this thing. Um, it was a really good interview he did with the uh, the Morgan Stanley uh, Technology Media and Telecom Conference. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Morgan Stanley uh, recently, I think, started covering – uh, WWE and might have even done one of these analysis on it. So they, they're, they've been looking at the stock a lot, 
But um, it was really interesting talking to George because uh, right in the middle of this, and uh, I'll go through a lot more about what, what he said in this later, but there's a, this really good section in um, the Q&A at about minute number 20 or so, 2021. And someone said, just think about the U.S. renewal. How important is it to keep the same partner, NBCU? And do you think there could be other parties interested, like technology players? Is there the ability to split up Ron SmackDown? And so George first starts off with the the obligatory, let me tell you how great working with the USA Network has been. It's amazing. Uh, it's a mutual partnership for many, many years. We work really, really great together. Really, um, really, 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 really. Yeah. Um, but he said, here's our evaluation criteria for this upcoming renewal. And again, this is – to me, this is like the key thing that I don't think I've heard be explained co- cohesively. Like these are the values. This is what they – this is what WWE values and the yeah. prospect of a new deal. This is what they like, need. When you do RFPs, the way you do it a lot of times is you say, I have a scoring metric. And then based on these different scores, I will then – add them all together or multiply them or whatever and then I'll decide thumbs up or thumbs down for different vendors. So they say we we have three things we're looking at. Number one is deepening in our engagement with our fans. Number two is bringing in new fans and number three is monetizing uh, for us. So money. So that's the last one of course. Yeah. Well but I thought that was really interesting because the first part deepening our engagement with fans I get that. You know, you have a loyal base of three million people that are watching Raw every week and what, two million that watch SmackDown every week? Something like that? Roughly, yeah. 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 In domestically. So you have this loyal base of people. And when they say deepening that engagement, well, that's everything from when we go live, when we make it go longer, we do special shows. Do do you tune in? Do you pay attention? Um, and the, But the next one, bringing in new fans. I think this is an area that USA Network does terrible in, right? Because you could argue USA has not contributed to them bringing in new fans over the last this last deal. Now they've helped them probably retain fans, moving SmackDown to a better time and a better uh, going live. That helps them retain the fans, and to a small degree, probably help them bring in new fans. I, I would say I'm far more apt to watch SmackDown now than I was a couple years ago, but. I, I guess you know, the value in USA Network's case is like, look, we've, we're in 90, 95 million homes or whatever it is. Yeah, but but to bring in new fans, they're not getting a crossover. You're not watching the show that comes before Raw and saying, I'm going to stick around for Raw because I'm interested in this show now. Because, the, cause, you know, the, the way that UFC benefited so greatly from WWE years ago, it's not that kind of bleed over thing where, oh, I'm watching this live sport. It's going to feed well to this Raw reruns of ncis or chris lee knows best or whatever that's not necessarily jiving with wwe raw that's a fan base that is coming and going and so there's you you could say maybe bringing in new fans total divas right or total bellas that was a good way of showcasing different talent in a different way and then trying to say are they going to come bleed back in but there still remains to be seen some element to prove that those shows are good at actually getting people to go back into the wrestling ecosystem versus just the reality show ecosystem. I, I think it, it remains to be seen one way or the other. It's never been proven to me. Right. The only, the only situation when there's really been crossover is on Spike TV when UFC went on Spike TV for the first time, right? It sounds yeah. like something that Fox should think about. And so, so that's where I'm going with this is to say, if I'm looking at USA and I'm saying what the three things they can do. Number one, can they deepen our engagement? Well, they can give us more programming, right? They can give us more reality shows, and they have a great network for reality shows. 
Uh, they're giving us on E and things like that. Like that's that's a decent platform. Um, bring in new fans. I don't know if it brings in a lot of new fans anymore. Uh, I think it's it's really challenging to you know prove prove that they're they are being able to do a lot of that beyond just USA embracing the women's revolution and pushing that as part of their narrative of the hero and all of us and sometimes even letting um, people do cameos and other stuff so like you know when Charlotte Flair was part of the psych movie okay maybe there's a crossover there but again I don't know if that feeds back into wrestling and the last one monetizing yeah NBCU has a ton of money they can definitely help monetize it and and they're a strong cable service so there's elements there but at the same time i think like fox knocks that one out of the park by saying we can bring in a ton of new fans not only that we have other content that's going to be on these stations that is going to help bleed you into people want to see wrestling again and hey do you got that ronda rousey she's a huge star she'll be a big star for us to get new people back in in your system because we we showed a lot of her stuff back in the day do we know when the the Fox the uh, UFC deal expires? Um, like when will they announce their new deal? When will they actually, if they don't renew with Fox, when will they actually leave Fox? Ah, oh. what, what what I'm getting at is like if if W goes to Fox, agrees to go to Fox, UFC makes a deal with somebody else. Is there going to be a time where they're both going to be on Fox for a little bit? My understanding is their seven year deal that they signed expires in December of this year. So the answer is no, because WWE's deal with USA doesn't expire until September 2019. Yes, but WWE doesn't have to announce their um, new – like they, they want to announce their new TV deal, but they could always wait it out until they absolutely have Fox's numbers and announcement before they make theirs. You see what I'm saying, though? There, there's not going to be a time if, – if UFC leaves Fox and W goes to Fox, there's not going to be a time where they're both on Fox. Oh, yes, yes. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I zoned out there for a second. Yes. Um, that That is very true. So, yes, WWE would be able to go into that kind of knowing which way they would be coming, um, whether they would be a feeder or not. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking, like, is there going to be – would there be a time where they would both be on the network and then there would maybe be some crossover and some mutual benefit there? But regardless, that's not going to happen unless mm. unless UFC stays on Fox and WWE goes to Fox as well. Yeah. And and the other part of that is that Fox obviously just spent all this money to get was it Thursday night football and uh they they just you know they they have a lot of cash right now too from this Disney deal. So there's there's a you know a somewhat strong thinking of you know from a sports standpoint if WWE wants to call itself sports and you know if you listen to this call which I might have been the only one on earth who did but um if you listen to it you'll hear the word sports a lot. Uh, they're I, back I listened to, to most of it this morning. George Barrett sounds like he just woke up from a nap. This yes. man sent him to take a power nap, and he woke <laughs> up, and he had to take this. this it, I, it sounded to me like it was a phone call. You insisted to me, no, he must have been there in person. He was there in person. I'm sure he was just mic'd, you know, in such a way that he sounded like a phone call. Yeah, but, um, it sounded like he was, yeah, monetization, the three pillars, everything. Yeah, wow. maybe, maybe he's on a Z-Pack or something, like uh, <laughs> fighting, or he flew back from overseas uh, from, or or he, he might have had to do a red eye that day, actually, you know, with all the, the different things going here, them being out in L.A. and, you know, this conference, I don't know, it might have been in New York. Um, but to me, in the last seven days, my analysis of will WWE go to, to USA or go to Fox has vastly swung towards Fox has a good deal that they can leverage. And I, I, I 
two weeks ago, I would have said there's a one in 10 chance or one in six chance. Now I would put it closer to 50, 50 odds. If they're truly offering, and this is a big if, if they're truly offering Monday Night Raw to be on Fox broadcast television for a two hour segment, which is fine. You know, I, 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 I heard you heroically bring up my point about international distribution rights, which I appreciated, though I basically, you know, got my got my my fingers slammed in the trunk of the car by um, international viewers basically saying WWE has never given a crap about what they sell to us internationally. <laughs> when well, my, it comes- my point is like Raw is three hours. If they go to Fox oh, yeah. broadcast channel, it's going to have to be two hours. How are they going to restructure all those deals that they made with international partners where they've promised yeah. them three hours of Raw? Yeah, and, and I think the answer has been, A, a lot of these international deals aren't actually for three hours of Raw. If you actually look at them, like if you've noticed, a lot of them when they're, they're published, don't, or they say, we'll air Raw for one hour. Like when it was on, maori tv you know for new zealand or something i think they were talking about it airing a edited one hour version of a show okay and so so there's that element there but even still then the uk deal i would think is more specific than that in the india deal these are the number two and number three deals yep yep the the second one being i don't doubt that they couldn't just stretch things out and make it three hours and give them you know an extra hour of main event or something else or just record extra content and do more packages or something mm-hmm. I, I, I think other or the last one is they just renegotiate. You know, if they know they're going to Fox, they're not announcing the UK deal until after that. When you announce your UK deal, you just make it clear. Hey, I'm giving you guys two hours of first run content for Raw. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same with the India deal. And then at that point, what do you care if you screw over the friends in Quebec? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess it, it's my, not, my point is, though, then the Fox deal has got to be good enough. They got to be paying them enough to make up for any value lost in, in any other deals. Yeah, and I do have to think that, you know, Fox is going to have to come in well over that 250 mark I'm talking about to make it work. And and to a smaller degree, you know, WWE, whether they admit it or not, since, you know, George once again in this thing said the number one metric I use to evaluate whether or not I'm successful. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said hours watched yeah. is the way that we evaluate whether we're doing the right thing. And so – to them, losing an hour of content will hurt them a little bit, and especially will hurt them because they like to do some made-up statistics where they do per-viewer hours. And so they like to say, we're on 52 weeks a year. We have a million people at three hours, so that's 3 million viewer hours times 52. That's 156 million you know, viewer hours. That would be like the math they're doing. And essentially, if I take off an hour, <laughs> you right. know, I'm cutting that number by third right. or, or two thirds. I'm multiplying a, a by fifth, two thirds. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that's that's going to, you know, that kind of math will hurt them. But for them, if the money's in the bank, I don't know if they care as much about some of those made up statistics, because honestly, they're using those made up statistics to prove why the money should be in the bank. Right. Because they were trying to argue in here when they talked about India. They said, basically, you got cricket, you got WWE and you got Kabaddi. And, you know, those are the three big sports. And if you add up all the viewer per viewer hours over the course of the year, then then we're for the season, we're the same. Yeah, we use 52 weeks for our season, you know, then admitting that, you know, these other people are doing 15 weeks and they're getting the same numbers. So but it just it will hurt them. But again, I think if the money's in the bank, they don't give a crap. Um, And especially as the world changes. So it's it's the money will follow the eyeballs. That's an argument for why the eyeballs are important but if you've already got the money there then the point is moot yeah and and to me just all of this calculus here 
puts it in overdrive for me of get it on Fox. Um, because if you're saying your three your three things that you're trying to do is quote deepen your relationship with your deepen your engagement with your fans, bring in new fans and monetize the content. I think Fox presents a better value proposition today. Now, you have to do the long game on this to say, okay, at five years from now, what is this landscape going to look like? What are these relationships going to look like? What is it I want? But I think if WWE is trying to pivot itself and say, hey, can I bring all these people away from USA Network to your network, push your network up, and then you'll actually contribute something back to me in the form of getting new people engaged with my idea. I think Fox has a better value proposition right now um, than than NBCU does. Now, I, I think NBCU has the longevity and the relationship and the investment they've made in improving their advertising, and that is huge. And you know, one for WWE to go so deep into PG programming it's like it in a certain way it kind of feels funny because you're like i don't know if fox cares as much about that right but but the advertisers do care we think the advertisers do care now this was another fascinating thing at the very end of the um the call in fact this was like the very last question um asked in the call where someone said how is it viewed by advertisers um how different is it and George went off about digital advertising and talked about how easy it is for them to sell their digital stock, which I thought was hilarious because if you think about the amount of revenue generated by digital advertising for WWE compared to television advertising being generated for USA Network, it's it's incomparable, you know. Uh, but and then he said we have less visibility to USA. USA has been public about adding 200 new advertisers, and if you compare the show to several years ago, you'll notice that they've broken several new categories. They've been very public about their success. It's a win-win. Seems like a real positive story with us. Um, and then they talked about there's very little content that's PG, and so if they're family friendly and they have high co-viewing or co, you know, families watching together type idea. But he basically admitted that they don't even have the numbers. To prove that they get good ad rates, which I think is going to be their new kind of side shuffle to get around, you know, wrestling ad rates are bad. You know, we don't even know what they are. That's USA's problem. You're going to have to talk to them about it sort of thing. How can they not know? What does that mean? Well, that's my point. They're doing a side shuffle. They're they're basically just trying to say USA is the one that sells it. So why would we know what it goes for? But but don't they know? Not necessarily. They don't they don't get paid on the, the TV advertising. The TV advertising, the, the sponsorships, yeah. The, the promotions, yeah. But not advertising. Advertising, USA collects all that money. So That's they the way. No, they, they have no idea what their ad rates are over the years. I would imagine USA can share some information with them. I would imagine that there's trade publications or other research stuff that goes there. Um, I'm sure, you know, they have their old history. And their old information, and it's possible that some of those people might even tell them, you know, I paid this much to advertise on 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 USA Network or with the brand of channels that USA represents, because at one point they were basically trying to put all of NBCU kind of together and sell the ad kind of as a we'll put you on NBCU in the best slots that fit your demographic. But he's kind of the way he's trying to like create a fog around the history of of the ad rates. Then it sounds like right, like. Well, he's trying to like you know sweep away that yeah, but maybe W ad rates have been haven't been very good over the years. But trying to put a fog over it to say, hey, we don't really know what it's worth, and in fact, this history we don't even know what the history is. Is, is that 
Uh, Yeah. I mean, he did actually mention at one point uh, he straight up said something along the lines of there does seem to be I think he called it a cognitive bias. Um, I don't know if I wrote it down, but I think that was the words he used, basically implying that, you know, people are prejudiced against wrestling. I think I think that's basically what he was trying to get to is that wrestling has had a history of not getting good ad rates because people do not believe that they should advertise on wrestling and that if you do, you don't have to pay a lot to do it. Yeah. And regardless, that's true. And, and, and I think Visit Man is responsible for a lot of it as well. Yeah. Well, and you and Bix touched on that last week where, where we, we did talk about if all things were equal, does wrestling get unfairly low ad rates? And I think you both agreed. Yes. And I would agree. Yes. That all things equal, wrestling does get below what a live sport that draws similar demographics would get for for that marked up to the number of viewers. The problem is, of course, there's no other thing that is drawing similar demographics and that same number of viewers. Yeah, I, I so think you, it gets lower rates than it should, but the fact that it gets lower rates, the pro wrestling promoters have no one to blame but themselves. So I... I <laughs> No, no, I don't. I don't know if I agree or disagree. I, I, it's hard for me to understand the advertising context, and I think that the thing that's moved so much over the last years here is there's been a move in some cases from let's sell to individual channels, let's sell to individual programs, to let's sell to conglomerates, and then have the conglomerates reslice it based on demographic profiles. Mm-hmm. Same way, you know, we we work with our, our we work with a network that helps us get advertisers for our podcast. But we ourselves are not usually approached by the the um, advertisers. There's other parties that are kind of approached, and then those parties try to find the right podcasts that fit the demographic profile that those advertisers are looking for. Mm-hmm. Is at least the way I'm assuming it's done, and that's similar to how like TV advertising has gone. In a way, that's what they talk about that halo effect. Or uh, I think it was J.P. Morgan. They did their analysis to basically say, here's how much money USA Network probably makes on wrestling. Here's how much they pay for wrestling. And, you know, they basically came up with the conclusion that, you know, USA probably makes, you know, $200 million on wrestling or something, and they only pay $170 million. So that's why USA Network is profitable in this thing. Right. And but the point there being, you can't pay $300 million for wrestling because what are you going to do to get advertising up if you don't have a strategy? And especially if you don't have a strategy that's different than the one you're using already. So in, in one way, you, you kind of have that advantage of being like on a brand new network, all, you know, you can start over, start fresh, and you can live with that hope where it's easier to say, yeah, we'll, we'll get $300 million of advertising. Why not? You know, versus if you're just on USA Network and you renew again, you kind of like, I, I know what's going to happen here. I, <laughs> this is not a scenario that I haven't seen before. So I, I like the idea of, you know, moving things on wrestling around to be on broadcast television. That's something I've always been a big fan of thinking that when SmackDown lost its broadcast ability, that really limited the new audience that they could reach. And if deepening your engagement and meeting new people uh, and trying to get them to turn into fans, ultimately WWE network subscribers is important to you and WWE live event attenders. You need to reach outside of the bubble you have. And I think in some cases, NBCU has become a bubble for them. Where, you know, they can only get so big and so high and, and then they're they're put in a certain slot. And if Fox comes and gives them something new, it might be a good kick in the pants to everybody. Right. It will definitely put them in more homes, right? Because the, the number of homes they would be in, the number of homes they're in right now is somewhere around 90 million homes in the U.S. Because that's the number of homes that have access to the USA Network. And I guess if you're on broadcast TV, you're in the number of homes 
roughly that there are TVs in, because probably most TVs, at least over the air, can get Fox. Um, yeah, but I think the the reason why WWE hasn't been able to grow its grow its popularity, I guess, because it certainly has grown its revenue and it's growing its at least it's OEBDA for now, but I think the big reason why it hasn't grown in popularity and hasn't seen even greater growth in its financial metrics is because they uh, they don't they put on a, a product that makes a, a lot of people feel like they don't want to watch it. Like they they want wrestling, but I think a lot they could have a bigger audience and a bigger fan base if they treated their their fans with I don't know more respect and intelligence. 115 million homes is the number I'm seeing in in some of these other articles talking about Fox. So, so you know about a about a 15% increase, but it's we're not talking doubling necessarily. But you could also say some of these homes at least are you know for sure not able to watch today. Yeah, and I think there's still that that you know outgoing concern of well a lot of people can just watch YouTube clips and follow the Twitter feed and you can get 90% of what happened on raw. I mean, hell the observer the next day has all the videos put in order and you can basically watch all the highlights of the show in six minutes if you really want to. And there was the Hulu adoption and things like that. So I, 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 some, in some ways to me, it's not access. That's the problem. I think it's exposure. And I do think that moving networks might give them a different exposure. And I think Fox you know, like you say, with broadcast, but moreover, even the fact that they have football and they have other things that are going on and that they might be able to play off, say, hey, UFC X stars that are in WWE, like, I don't know, a Brock Lesnar and a Ronda Rousey, those could be very valuable. I, that's true from like a marketing point of view. I hadn't thought about that yet. It's like you could advertise W programming on NFL games and things like that, which is an audience. I don't know what the NFL is doing in, in terms of viewership, but it's you know, it's got to be among the, the biggest, you know, viewerships uh, of of the year on any network, right? Uh, so, the I don't think it hurts them to have that exposure in a good way if they can if they can make it work. I mean, the reason Saturday Night Main Event failed miserably was because in the end, <laughs> it didn't matter that it got good network exposure; people weren't interested in what they were presenting, and they were embarrassed by it. So it's like that that's going to be an issue that's, that, that's you know, you wash quote, right? It's like, you know, why didn't why didn't we draw any people? It's because the the main event that we put on, nobody wanted to pay to see. So, yeah. So this was a really good um, uh, uh, talk he gave. I'm going to probably post it on my blog, just uh, my my version of the notes of it. I, I recommend people listen to it. You know, he talks a lot about the content strategy and saying, you know, we have the bundle. We have the AVOD. We have the network. He, he um, talks about and, tiering and secession. I thought, I thought those were the two most interesting points. Yeah, so he, he talks a lot about that. He talked a lot about, you know, what is happening for, um, like you say, tiering. And he goes into what is it we have to do with the network? Because they asked him straight up, do you really still believe you can do three to four million on, on the network? And he said, yes, because we think it takes eight to nine years to reach your steady state, as he called it. And we think we're only halfway there. So we're at, you know, one and a half now. So we can hit three. By the time we hit that steady state now, you can argue whether or not I mean, the way they're doing um, uh, uh, subscriber acquisition now, absolutely not. But I agree if you change some of the dynamics of the network, you could be doing a lot more. And specifically, he says our biggest opportunity is languages. And he said localizing in at least one other language, localizing around price and currency 
which I thought was really interesting because that that is for sure, you know, the Indian network being at 9.99 in US and English, that's just not a that's a no-go. Um if, if I could jump in, like he's talking about 8 to 9 years and he's I guess he's thinking of things like Netflix, right? But he did say there's very few data points. Right. And if so, he's, if he's saying like, okay, it took eight to nine years for a Netflix or a Hulu to get where they are, but he's talking about the eight to nine years in the past. And I, I feel like one of the big things that W needs to make, I don't know if they can ever get the three, two, three, four million, but one of the things that W needs is they need the, uh, they need other world economies to get stronger and to get more ready to buy OTT technology and to buy subscription video on demand services. So like those are in the eight to nine years that have already passed, like the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world have already had to deal with that disadvantage. Does that make sense? Like it's not – it doesn't seem to me to be a fair comparison that he's trying to make. Yes, but you could argue this is similar to like um, – uh, gosh, who, who's who's the the computer processor cost you know, law stuff where they're saying you know, the computers are going to get you – know, exponentially Moore's faster law. Moore's and, law. more yeah like yes. a Moore's law and again it's not a law it's a uh, obser- it's a casual observation of economic occurrence yes. yeah but the point of it being I think he's using that model to say we just look at acquisition and just look at how it's worked with different things and the same thing when I did those videos about YouTube and I showed okay here's all the videos over 10 million and then this is how many days they've been out and here's the curve to them and they had a very nice curve except for like six videos. Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of thing where I think they're just saying if we follow an acquisition curve and we look at how it's been, this is what we generally think happens. And you can never understand the dynamics of where it's going to come from to say, oh, well, Latin America suddenly got high-speed broadband. And then over here, China uh, uh, deregulated their phone. And so then everyone could get it for free. And, and you know, North Korea toppled and then suddenly the Russians came in and set up a brand new network. You know, it's not getting into those specifics. It's just saying in general, this is the economic thing we see. This is an unemployment curve versus inflation, you know, that sort of thing. But I agree with you <laughs> that you, in some ways you're saying, hey, this world in four years from now, are you really thinking that it's going to emulate the world of 2010, which is, you know, Netflix from 2002 to 2010. And then now you're pretending that the the network from 2014 to 2022, we're looking at the same worldview. No, it's a very different worldview. And so in some ways you could argue it's it's too low. You know, if you can only double in, in eight years here, that's pretty sh- – or four years, that's pretty shitty um, given this kind of landscape that's coming up for them. But at the same time, you know, they, they are conflating a lot when they start talking about tiering. And that was his second point is that we could do a tiered product. Um, premium tier and, – and then he talked about what he said, quote, integrating our free content – and what he kind of seemed to be implying was that all the stuff that goes on to YouTube and on the WWE.com and whatnot, that that would more become the free tier of the WWE network. And then that would then have a lot more kind of call to actions or ability for you to quickly upgrade and get the real network. Because I think what they found is, yeah, you can get, what, 40 billion views, as he said a couple times in the, the speech, but you don't necessarily convert that into subscriptions. And so the challenge is, yeah, you get a little bit of advertising money for it, but you're not getting network subscriptions. And that's what you told me you were trying to sell through this thing. And so so part of it is maybe it's better if you can capture them at a different point where you're capturing them using the Roku, going to the WWE Network, watching it free there. And now I've, I've eliminated 90% of the hurdles 
to get you signed up versus a YouTube user still has a lot of hurdles before they're signed up and using a net, net, network subscription. Right. And I had never thought about it until I heard him put it that way this morning when I listened to the call, or at least part of it, is that they talk about how many millions and billions of uh, hours and, and views they have, but if they could somehow get that get that activity much closer to their subscription service so they can, I know I wrote in the, in the doc here, they could shorten the bridge from AVOD to SVOD. I think that yes. that's where they want to be. And and he talks a lot about marketing messages. He says, when we launched the network, we did one marketing network, one marketing message. This week, we did 100 or hundreds. In a, uh, a few years, we expect to be doing thousands. And again, if I know what you're watching on the free WWE network, I know how I can target advertising reach out, et cetera, to you. More data. And, and, and this isn't to say, you know, if I show you Kurt Angle saying, come sign up for the network, you're going to sign up. But if your hit rate now is 1 in 10,000, and you can get that up to 1.5 in 10,000 or 2 in 10,000, that's enough for them. It's worth that extra edge. It's, it's, a, it's a game of inches when it comes to that kind of, you know, that marketing stuff. And, you know, the hit rate differences – a lot of times people are, are shocked at how low it can be. But if you do it right, and like he says, it's it's to him it's about data cleansing, up to uploading, cleansing, standardizing, aggregation. That's exactly what he said. It takes time, but it's not conceptually difficult. Um, but And then creating more content, localizing more content, recruiting more talent. This was really interesting because this was George Berrios, co-president of the WWE. And every other time George has talked, he's been CFO and chief strategy officer. And I think as his chief strategy officer, he's talked a lot about media opportunities in WWE, but he's done a pretty shitty job of actually talking about the strategy of a wrestling company. And and again, you know, he would probably say, oh, that's not my department. That's Paul Levesque. That's mm-hmm. Vince McMahon. That's not me. But on a certain level, I feel like you have to integrate what does it mean to be a wrestling company with your strategy overall. I was fascinated you didn't hear anything about live events. You didn't hear hear anything about touring more. You heard just localization of 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 content, and then he kept mentioning recruiting more talent. And now he's using the number seventy percent. So he kept saying seventy percent of our views come from overseas, with India being our biggest market. So seventy percent is the new number. If it was eighty percent before, I don't know, but um, uh, just it, it, it strikes me that I, I think it, it's just been thrown around seventy to eighty. I've heard seventy five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it it just it struck me on that a lot that, you know, he, he's talking talent, talent, talent. And so, again, with us saying, hey, they're going to break out these talent costs a lot more. I do wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a pushback from investors or other people when they say, why do you spend 30 million dollars? We again, this was your conversation with Bix last week with Jim Cornette. We don't know what the number is, <laughs> but let's pretend it's $30 million. Why do you spend $30 million that you could be reinvesting or using in other ways? And they're trying to build the case to say to have an international presence, we need to have international talent. To have international talent, we have to recruit them. When we recruit them, we have to train them. To train them, we need a school. We need a place. We need a facility. We need a program. So I, I thought that was interesting that, you know, again, I never felt that he does a good job. He's great at talking about media. If you called him the chief media officer, I'd believe it, right? Yeah, That's what he yeah. talks about. But he's not great at talking about the strategy of a wrestling company by saying we need to build stars that are going to connect in this direction. You know, they, they tout the women's revolution. I don't but think if they want to think- build stars. They want to build an atmosphere of, of star power. They don't want to build actual stars because that more stars – 
big stars, the bigger the individual star is, the bigger the risk. Well, and it strikes me because it's like a lot of times they almost seem like it, they're they're admitting it was happenstance that they started the women's revolution, that they were pushed into it by the fans, not by them, which then says, well, if your CEO figures out his best idea by reading someone else's blog, as opposed to being like, this is the right thing to do, rather than having everyone yell at you all day. <laughs> it, it, I don't know. Am I making sense on that? That it's like it, it seems like their biggest change in their mindset to how to approach the wrestling product in some ways, even in their story, it's them reacting to the fans. But at the same time, it's the fans having to get outraged at them rather than them being on the forefront of the change. Yeah. I I think a lot of it is just the neurosis of Vince McMahon and the kind of booker that he wants to be. He wants to be, I think, like I said last week, he, he has to be the genius and he's not a genius. If, if, uh, the crowd is choosing the stars for him, you know, he has to, his value to WWE, I think in, in his own mind, is that he's the one who knows what to do here. He's got the, the magic touch. And he doesn't have the magic touch if, if they're following the lead of the fans. But and it's amazing. That That's still their the, narrative, though. Their narrative is that the fans wanted it, they and they did it. Has it to be, because they have to pretend that they love their fans and they're not at war with them. He did He did specifically at one point, uh, just out of uh, props to nothing, just added smiles on their faces when he was yeah. talking about um, – what was it? Uh, he goes, oh, yeah, he was talking about India. And then just out of the nowhere, he goes, we've been able to, quote, put a lot of smiles on faces there. That's what they do. That's their <laughs> verb. I just thought it was so great. Where I was like, oh, George, you you said granularity. You said the long arc, not one of his other big favorite ones. And uh, you got you got smiles on the faces. But yes, let's talk secession planning. That was a good another good one here of, you know, if you if you have a point blank. Yeah. And so this was obviously from an investor who probably saw that article on Seeking Alpha that said, you know, secession planning is something that WWE hasn't done. Um, I've touched on it briefly on the show a number of times. Uh, and the quote was, I had a question on secession issues with Vince McMahon and what the public comments on that. What are the public comments on that? And, uh, Brandon Howard Thurston, who will probably be writing an article for wrestling Inc. By the time the show is up, uh, on this exact uh, topic, I bet, uh, what did, what was, what was the response from George? He said, uh, yeah, <laughs> what, 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 he said, what we said is I'm not personally privy to the secession plan. So that was interesting. I, did, I didn't. But he said ex- the board reviews the secession plan. He said the board reviews the secession plan. There's one in place and he's not privy to it. Uh, they are very thoughtful about the secession plan. Vince has said multiple times, this is probably the broadest and deepest management bench that the company has ever had. A combination of people who have been with W for a long time and really have it going through their blood as well as people from different industries, technologies, and other media that have come in. So you've got nothing to worry about, George says. Don't worry about it. I don't know what the secession plan is, but don't worry about it. It's going to be well, fine. So a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, George was not on the board of directors. Remember, he just got added to the board of directors along with Michelle when he was elected, when he was added as co-president. Yeah. So when he says the board reviews it, I've not been privy. He's not on the board. So I, I can actually understand that. Number two, he's going to be privy to it soon then. Well, it depends on which committee reviews it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's that outside committee, the same one that does compensation. You know, where they, they basically – because you don't want to necessarily play your hand to say, OK, we're going to go give it to George. Because, you know, what if you want to make sure Michelle doesn't quit? What if you want to make sure Stephanie plays nice? What You know, you don't want to necessarily make it clear because A, Vince might have the ability to change his mind. B, the board might say, here's the criteria we're going to look for in a leader. 
and here's what we're going to evaluate them on and then go from that. You know, it, it's hard to say exactly what it would all say. Um, I just thought it was interesting that he did reaffirm that the board does have a secession plan and that uh, he doesn't know it. Now, do I really think that nobody has a clue who would take over? No, I think they absolutely know who would take over. And I think the fact that George and Michelle get elevated to the title of co-president. Hell, uh, if I was the person being asked who is going to take over when your company is changing, I'd say your interim leadership would probably be George and Michelle and other people would take on different roles. And again, that doesn't mean that Paul Levesque loses power in that scenario. I think Paul Levesque, you know, consolidates power in that scenario, but, uh, and it doesn't even mean that he is your permanent leader. It might just be interim where they, you know, do a search for a CEO, but uh, the fact that they elevate him to the title of co-president, a title that is pretty darn high um, says to me that that would probably be very close to you. You'd be looking for some direction there. And again, I think they would just split responsibilities that Mitch McMahon has today because he's both the chairman of the board. He's the CEO. He's the, you know, still making lots of other decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, if Vince McMahon uh, left suddenly for whatever reason, Triple H is the booker. He has more independence as far as that goes. And then, yeah, and George and Michelle run the business side and mostly just defer to Paul Levesque on, on, on the things that are already part of his job, creative live, live events and talent development. Yeah, but I mean, we, we still know there's a lot of, you know, WWE has a lot of junctures here they need to figure out. And I think sometimes we overplay that it's all about the WWE Network because that's all George wants to talk about. But it's like, getting tv rights deals are a big deal obviously but even just like live events where are you touring why are you touring there where are you going how are you building your audiences in other places of the world how are you merchandising the superstars what are you doing with developmental what is developmental strategy what is developmental's value proposition how are we dealing with wwe films are we uh, as we reintegrate that into our media segment what is that going to mean in the future and that was something that they used as their excuse for like when they asked why are you redoing all your segments and they basically said we want it to be a little bit clearer a the granularity on stuff like being able to split raw and smackdown tv rights out versus total bellas and total divas which i i, I highly applaud two they said that the cost of producing content is often very flat you know, it's the same whether or not it's going to Raw, SmackDown, Total Divas, the web. But the 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 cost segments of each of those are very different. You know, the digital uh, division versus the, the television division. And so in some ways, they also kind of want, I think, to to put that content all in one group so they can kind of allocate the cost very much to that one big group rather than to have break it out and say, oh, well, we filmed that for digital. So technically that, you know, quarter hour of that cameraman's pay goes to digital, not to this. I, I'm wondering if that's part of it. Is it it's easier than and there's some there's truth to it. I think that the non-truth to it is the fact that digital has a very different OEBDA percentage than TV has a different OEBDA percentage than network. And I'm kind of curious how much of that is driven by content costs versus back end costs. You know, the data centers they need for the network are very different than than the actual cost of paying people to go on television. Yeah. Um, they, they did talk a little bit about the idea of a global model, uh, global rights for WWE, because someone basically asked, well, what if Sky and I think it's Fox might have a relationship? And so basically, would there be, you know, kind of a, a, a synergy where, you know, you, you would go you'd. Because Fox gets it in the U.S., Sky would definitely get it in the U.K. 
and they more or less admitted that they that's one reason that they do like coterminous account um uh there a rupert murdoch conspiracy i think that's the real question i mean they admitted that's why they like to get their network deals to kind of or their tv deals to kind of end at a similar time so they can kind of leverage that idea but they did say no we're probably going to do it market by market and they even admitted in some markets they think they're well priced as he put it whereas others they think there's quote opportunity and and it has to do with the the level of distribution they're getting he said really obliquely for example UK were teared up on sky sports and i thought in the the context of that conversation with will cooling 2 weeks ago that was really interesting to me because I was trying to figure out, is that a good thing or a bad thing to be tiered what, what up? What does that mean, tiered up? It means they're, they're being paid an appropriate price? I didn't know. I wondered if it meant because they're on like the fourth tier of Sky Sports, if you remember, the way that it was explained to us where they're on the action channel or whatever. And so they're on this, you know, very strange little corner of Spy Sports on a tier of it versus, you know, being on broadcast TV or being on a, a you know, a, a very prominent channel. And so I didn't know if he was using that as a bash or if, like you're saying, he was using the phrase teared up to mean they're paying us a whole bunch more money than we probably are worth, which, again, is probably true in the UK based on the number of, of viewers that they're actually getting for the show. Yeah. And we still expect an increase in the UK. I think so. Of that. Okay. I, I, I don't think UK is going to – I don't believe they're going to go down. I don't think that we're in a situation where um, – But the ratings are down. That must mean TV rights go down or no. No, I mean, say, yes, of course, same in the U.S., right? So and, and again, this is your chance to hit the reset button. So if if Sky Sports has put you on a shitty tier, you have a chance to say, I, I reject your reality and substitute my own. Um, Other things that were interesting on this this talk. You're uh, bearing the lead. Rob Gronkowski was was talked about in this call. Yeah. This guy out of nowhere just goes, well, I'm a diehard New York Patriots fan. Is is Rob Gronkowski going to come to the WWE? And uh, uh, George goes, I don't know. I'm a diehard WWE fan. I hope he does. And then there's this long pause. And he goes, I'm a diehard WWE fan. And I I do hope that you can find that clip. It's right before the 21-minute mark. (laughs) And I wanted you to add that to the end of the show. Uh, when we're done, just uh, just George's George. Now we have George on record yeah, being a diehard WWE fan. He's one of those people being su- super served by 205 Live, Mayon Classic, NXT. He's uh, I, I want to know what uh, George's uh, W Network watch history is like. I want to have him on here as a guest. We can. We're not going to talk to not to, not going to talk with W Business at all. I just want to talk to him about wrestling fandom and uh no but just like his personal taste of, of wrestling and you know what he thinks of hercules hernandez and the warlord and things like that and and we did learn maybe Billy this, Haynes. we did learn uh that his daughters know who ronda rousey is so once again you know like like many executives i i i don't fault him for this because i've met many executives who make those kind of choices based on really intangible things where they say, you know, I was at the grocery store and I saw this thing. It's going to be a big brand, you know, that sort of thing. So it's like here he said, my daughters know who Ronda Rousey are. It's exciting. And then they referred to it as she's all in. She's all in. So, again, he's sending coded messages to the Internet. That's right. Uh, Triple H was doing that as well. Did you, did you see that? Oh, did he also refer to her as all in? 
he made some he, he oh this is gonna sound terrible on audio but like he made some sort of reference uh, i don't remember exactly what it was at the elimination chamber the promo that he did he he, he said elite he said the words elite <laughs> when he was like uh wooing rousey to sign the contract something like that he used the word elite Oh, okay so yes i i just kind of wonder if maybe wwe is going to try to to they're going to grab the uh the trademark for the the words all in under the bucks and try to try to screw them over <laughs> i have looked up uh matt massey and and nick massey they've got uh i mean not in the last few weeks but uh they do they do own trademarks related to the young bucks right and i think super kick party at one time at least but, but you know what they don't own they don't on Young Buck Bourbon. So mm. if uh, they want to start their own whiskey line, they cannot at this mm. moment. I guess they can do their own whiskey line, just not their own bourbon line. It's a shame. Are you looking up right now? I just, I just happened to look that up, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, any other things on this talk? It's a great talk. It's only about 30 minutes long. Uh, it's mm-hmm. faster than listening to me try to explain the talk. He did give a bear case and a bull case for what's going to happen with rights opportunity, and I actually thought it was an honest case. Yeah, I think he's done that before. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that. I feel like sometimes yeah. you, you don't always get an honest take from these things where it's all rose, rosy outlook. And here is just like the, the bare case for what's going to happen is that pay TV ecosystem is going through a level of change. Yeah. And buyers for the content have to manage themselves and not overpay. And our content has been undervalued. Uh, compared to this other content so you know we not only are they not willing to pay as much but they've always paid us less yeah. and then the bull case is uh we are repositioning our value in the marketplace and uh this was where he said he said anchoring is a very significant cognitive bias so i think he's trying to say if we only get 140 million aav now it's hard for people to imagine why 300 million is pop- plausible and then he said, we are positioning as a digital social powerhouse. And then he immediately said, that might have been too strong of a word. But we're viewed as leaders. And the disruption is beneficial to content right holders. And I agree with that, that, you know, we're seeing more and more services sell themselves not as I'm Netflix, sign up for Netflix, but I'm Netflix and you can watch all the new Marvel programming here. Or I'm I'm Hulu. If you like 30 Rock, come to me. Or Shonda Rhimes works for me. Or Robert Kirkland works for me or so forth. You know, um, so so we we are seeing content creators more and more try to then make the OTT service seem relevant by them being attached to it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. And so there's a lot of stuff. There's talk about Facebook here. He did, in fact, straight up say uh, that that uh, digital players are opening up their pocketbooks and seeing the value of live sports. And, uh, you know, Facebook is thrilled with all their 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 mix match challenge numbers. So there's not a lot to compare it to, but Facebook's very happy. Yeah, but I I think Barrios is is very smart on media. I think one of the big tensions when people like us talk about George Barrios or other wrestling commentators, smart ones, pundits, and, and whatnot, that most of us like have a a deeper understanding of the wrestling business. We've been following it for so long. We're so deeply engaged with all the personalities and all the stories that have revolved around wrestling business over the last whatever the entire history of, of professional wrestling. And he's not so engaged in that. He doesn't have much of a clue about wrestling history or, or stuff. Yeah. Like a that. question but, about new Japan would be fascinating to see how he would respond to it. Yeah. But I think, I think what the, this last couple of years have, have taught me is that Barry's understands the media world better than the wrestling commentators do because for the last couple of years we've been watching WWE's tv ratings especially the raw ratings fall and uh 
everybody's been pulling their hair out and, and uh, being dystopian about it. And uh, they're going to be fine with TV rights negotiations. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. George has taught me a lot. I'm, I would never say George is stupid. I would never say that George is short-sighted. And I think he has done a very good job of expanding you know, the, the vocabulary of the impact of social media on WWE has been transformed because of his involvement with championing that as a metric that they can grow. I think the challenge is from a pure financial standpoint, there's question marks on their books about how they run their business and why they got it took them this long to get to this point. Because you're generating a lot of revenue for a very small amount of profit. You're, it took you years to realize you needed to shore up your, your accounts and take out those big loans just to have something on the book so that people didn't laugh in your face. And, and you all of this is to say like the W Network has been this wild success. It's been – it hasn't even really – it's not making more money than I believe pay-per-view would make in an ideal business move and an ideal alternate reality. It's it's a moderate transitional success because they have gained they would argue they've gained information that they never would have had and they've gained a right. ability to leverage and retain because there's no more peaks and valleys. You know, it was a peak and valley business and they got out of that. Right. But I don't believe that that the power of that data is yet worth what they would have made on a iPay-per-view if they continued to do it, what they would have made on on pay-per-view if they had at least continue to put WrestleMania on pay-per-view and and the year of 2014 where they lost all that money to just start up the network um, to, the, yeah. to, to the point today where if you look at the training schedules, say, and you look at the OIBDA from 2017 and compare it to years prior to the network, it's, uh, it's comparable, but it's not so far uh, – network profits aren't so far exceeding pay-per-view profits that you're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely worth it. It's not yet. But, uh, I, I feel like George is positioned terrifically if WWE ever stops being a wrestling company owned by Vince McMahon because he's positioned in a great place to be the media arm of some conglomerate's media piece. You know, he, He's got a great view about what it means to be in digital media, what it means to be in OTT media, what it means to get, do television rights renewals, what it means to do sports things, what it means to do pay-per-view. He's got a great view on all that. The problem is I feel like there's a whole other side to the wrestling business and you never hear any thought about it. And at a certain point, it feels like a corporation without a soul because you wouldn't know I'm talking about wrestling if you listen to 90 percent of what he talks about because so little of it is related to a wrestling thing. And maybe people argue it's a commodity like anything else. I just don't buy that. that, That's how Vince perceives of it. Like that's understanding that stuff is not a priority to his boss. So, you know, what's the incentive for him to do it? It's it's hard to know. I mean, it, we we get we get fascinated. We find out more about Vince McMahon through the <laughs> actions of people around him than we do about Vince, right? Because we hear him say, "Vince told me this," or "Vince feels this way," or "Thanks, Vince." <laughs> you know, let me take this one, Vince. But you, you, we learn a lot about you know kind of the mindset of you know even here he touched on it when he said, "My boss says to me sometimes, why can't we do this faster?" We need to move faster. And he's like, so we double the people. We build faster. And again, that's a great example of what have they been doing? Well, they've actually been hiring a ton of people for their analytics department because they way understaffed it. They were foolish to launch a WWE network with the number of people that they had. And yet they did. And so it's, it's just one of those where I'm like, you can see the side of like Vince where he's like, 
screw it. We'll hire twice as many people. Or I'm sure what Vince actually said is we'll just fill those jobs with other people that are already doing jobs like that. <laughs> now you have no more responsibilities. But, you know, it, it just you, you always get the sense with Vince that he's telling them to move faster, move faster, move faster. So I will say, you know, I do feel like that they 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 feel a fire in their belly to move faster because Vince wants that. And he's not complacent. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I know he's accused of complacency, but I think he's not complacent. Yeah, and I think he's deferring to Barrios in the right ways as far as taking better advantage of new media. And I say that while also just saying the things I just said about the network, where it's not been it's not been perfect, it's not been ideal, but uh, TV rights have been great. So there's that at least. Yeah. A new name. Oh, go, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say one new name that came up this week um, that uh, I would just put on people's you know radar. I'm actually gonna add him to my Google Alerts is Brian Flynn. F L I N N. And he's been promoted to WWE's chief marketing and communications officer. He reports up to Michelle Berrios. I'm not Michelle Berrios. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Wilson. Um, now it sounds like a very is, similar title to Michelle Wilson's former title. Yes, exactly. Because Michelle is now co-president. So she 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 loses all those old titles. But I think one of her old titles was, in fact, chief marketing officer. And the communications piece, um, I, I don't know. They're, they're – you, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. It's it's sometimes a little bit of a black box about when you go in and you try to get a comment from WWE, which group is going to respond to you, whether it's it's, you know, more the investor side or whether it's more the. But the it's always the, media. I mean, if you, when I first started doing this, I made the mistake of like emailing investor relations. I was I wasn't an investor, though. And they were like, oh, you need to talk to media relations. So but it sounds like with communications officer in his title, he'll be supervising media relations, maybe. Well, he's in charge of uh, all marketing and corporate communication functions, including global consumer marketing, WWE network marketing, creative services, special events, publicity, media relations, and corporate communications. So that's that's his titles. Um, picture of him up on the website. Young looking kid. You, you'd think you'd be like a new announcer on NXT. Kind of <laughs> he guy. does, yes. He'll be, uh, he'll, he'll be uh, welcoming his guest at this time pretty soon. Yeah, but uh, but then the same thing is when at the very bottom of this, there's two names for – there's two people to contact, one for investor and one for media. And so I would assume that Matthew Altman, who is the media guy they list here, reports up to him maybe. I, yes. I, I'm not – I'm never even sure of all that too. So it's it's more just that um, – Well, there, there was what with Chris Belletti who was uh, there for a little while. He's he's left WWE since, right? Yes. Yes, he he has left, and uh, yes, he was a guy that was doing some communications at one time. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see um, just that tra- change. And I like to point out these people because these names matter more than any of the wrestlers that you might know <laughs> their whole history of. And it's like so few people follow this side of it. And it's important to kind of do it because when you when you search for those names, you can find great articles where they're quoted or they're mentioned that might not even say the words WWE, but it will clue you into what WWE is thinking about or working on or specifically what those people are working on. And uh, you can you know, you can sometimes get a little bit of a viewpoint of, of what's happening It's you know, following George speak has taught me more about WWE than almost every conference call. Right. So. All right. Um those are some of the big ones there. That that's kind of my WWE uh, quinfecta of of news. We've gone you know good hour and a half here talking about Brock Lesnar, Fox Sports, and, and this George Barrios talk. Um, the annual report for WWE does not appear to be out yet, so uh, we still don't have a winner. We still on, don't know who's on the cover. We still don't know who's on the cover. I checked this morning, and uh, it, it will be sometime in March. 
So it, I looked it up. It, it, I, I almost wonder if it, it always coincides with um, one of the big meetings that they have, like when all the other filings get done for the um, the shareholders. Sure we could like investigate and see what around what time the others were released. But uh, because we there's be a, the uh, go ahead, there's, there's a letter to investors from Vince that yeah. he writes, and it's signed March of 2017 last year, uh, and that's the part that's added in into so the graphical version. Drafting it right now. That's my point. Yes, exactly. So his yacht this morning. <laughs> so, so that with that in mind, I'm saying that I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is like related to when they do the shareholder annual meeting type thing. That's um, in April, I think. Right. Yeah, but maybe maybe they you know he wrote the letter in March and it's released in April. I I would have to see if I can find. I, I feel like I was foolish. I'm I'm petty enough that I tweeted about it last year about when it came oh, yeah, probably. out. I, I I you know this is one of those those Mookie quirks where Mookie has made a big deal about who's on the cover of the annual report in previous years. So I do expect the proxy statement on Friday though. Oh, ooh, the the really good one that has like Shane McMahon's so, pay so for yeah, WrestleMania and all the, that. The, the proxy statement, uh, you can probably explain better what it is, but we get a lot of details from it. Like, uh, yeah, what Shane McMahon gets paid, what Triple H gets paid, what all the executives get gets paid. Get paid. We usually get a uh, some sort of detail about what Stephanie gets paid. And I'm not sure if she's a she wasn't last year considered a named officer, which are like the five top top corporate executives in WWE who are like Vince McMahon, George Barris, Michelle Wilson, Kevin Dunn. And I think who else did they end up putting in there? Maybe Basil Devito. I forget, but yeah. I think we'll, it was just we'll, Vince, we'll Michelle, George, Triple H, and and uh, uh, Paul or and oh. uh, Kevin. Yeah, I think we're the ones that made it. But yeah, so that that one came out last year on. Um, let's see here. That's that's a great note. That came out on the tenth, and that's called a a a DEF fourteen A. I'm figuring that that came out on a Friday, I believe, last year. So I expect. March and that, Friday, yeah, and that that is used in conjunction with the annual meeting proxy. So I'm I'm almost wondering if um, maybe because someone told me years ago when they were a shareholder, they used to get a copy of the annual report sent to them every year with like the annual with the the proxy when it would get mm-hmm. sent out because that's when you vote on you know the new board of directors or whatnot. So um, I I bet you it's all kind of released at that same time for that reason. So uh, hopefully we'll have an answer to who's on the annual report cover. Uh, this Friday, uh, we are looking forward greatly to it. And stock is already up to thirty-eight nineteen. Wow! If you had told me a year ago they're trading at thirty-eight nineteen, I, I don't know if I would have believed you. They're already at the uh, the target that uh, some have predicted for them. Like what BTIG was like, what thirty-six, thirty-eight? Yeah. So I mean, people that people have made a lot of money on them this year. So. You know, you can you can take all the analysis, all of the hours and hours of bullivating from me, and you can shove it up my nose because uh, they've made lots and lots of money, and they made the the shareholders happy about that. That that's one word I don't hear them use a, a lot. <laughs> I was really surprised that I didn't hear you know George try to sell us more on the idea of like shareholders want this and shareholders want this. He never says that. And so whether that's good or bad, you know, if you're – it's almost kind of a – Well, what do the come, shareholders know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's kind of one of these where it's like we're not looking out for the shareholders. We're doing what's best for our business and you can choose to be an investor in my company is how it feels sometimes. And, hey, it's a strategy. It's well, a strategy. They're, they're the ones who are supposed to be experts in their business and the shareholders are the people who are just supposed to trust or not trust. Yeah. I just mean – 
a lot of other companies are, are making moves to try to make sure that shareholders feel that their voices are heard and that they're, you know, responsive and they, they're fiscally responsible with their money. But when all the voting power is consolidated in one family group, you know, there's a, a lot less concern about whether the shareholders are happy or sad sometimes it feels like. All right. Talk to me about New Japan news. I saw um, – some translation of what was being said about New Japan, but I didn't see anybody actually try to do the numbers based on what they were telling us. So, did you do the? Did you have you actually tried to run the numbers to figure out? Because I saw percentages over last year and this and that, but did you actually run the numbers and so you can translate percentages into absolutes? No, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what I did do, I don't know. What what we know is that you know Chris Charlton came out with a tweet that he translated from a Yahoo article saying NJPW World subs were up 40% ahead of Wrestle Kingdom 12. That was on January 4th. Uh, foreign subs, that would, I guess, be non-Japanese subs, were up 80%. U.S. subs alone within that category were up 60%. So that was just this past January. Then you go back further to July 2017 for the Long Beach shows that were in L.A., uh, and there was a 15% jump. I, I'm, I'm reading that as overall, not just U.S. or not just foreign, but a 15% jump overall. In uh, NJPW World subs in July, like I don't, I don't know where to start with that number. If we were to make like a, a guess about what's the absolute number around the Long Beach July 2017 shows, we do know that in January 2017, after Wrestle Kingdom, they were at about sixty thousand. I don't know where they were in July. They were probably a little lower than sixty thousand because I would figure they would have peaked and then fallen off a little bit after Wrestle Kingdom because that's their big peak event. So so if we're reading this right, we're saying to me that in – oh, okay. I see. So your, your, your graph here at the bottom is a time graph. The graph that I have here at the bottom is from an article that I wrote in January about uh, how did NGPW World do following Wrestle Kingdom 12. Okay. Where, so where you they show – Where they went yeah. from before Wrestle Kingdom 12, about 70,000 subscribers, and then afterward they were at about 90,000. Okay, so you're you're saying that they were at about seventy thousand, and they jumped up to ninety thousand, and you're suggesting that a year ago they were at about fifty thousand. So that's that forty percent jump. Yeah, so, this isn't a, this isn't a new graph. This is just straight from an article. No, no, January. but but it's it's um it it ties out, yeah. which is good. So you're saying that fifty thousand to seventy thousand, that's a forty percent jump, and then on top of that, we think that he said foreign subs are up eighty percent, and and last year we had estimated. That foreign subs was somewhere around 15,000, 16,000 people. Yeah, up from 10,000 before. Yeah. So Russell, if we were to see 11. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if it's 15,000 and you're up 80%, you'd be at like 27,000. So that's about 12,000 more people. Um, and we so. Can, do, can we deduce a, a non Japanese uh, number from this? I mean, it would be 63,000 is a non-Japanese number or Japanese number would be 27,000 and the, the, the Japanese, the non-Japanese <laughs> non-Japanese is 27. Japanese is 63 is what I would take away from that. Um, this would be at the end of Russell kingdom 12 roughly. Yeah. If, if this is, if these 40% are right and they're saying, um, you know, and then a year ago, that 27,000 was only 15,000, 15 to 16,000. And a year ago, that 63,000 was only 44,000 or 45,000. So essentially, they gained about 12,000 non-Japanese people, and they gained about 18,000 Japanese people. So that would be like, so 27,000 non-Japanese over the total 
which is 90,000, is 30% are from uh, Japan. Yes, yes, yes. 27 over 90 would be. So we've got a, so we've got a 70 30 breakdown of Japan, non Japan. If these numbers are accurate at all. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the I other. Think there, I think there's reason to believe they're roughly true. Yeah. And then the other thing you could could say from it is is though while overall 30% are non-Japanese 40% of the new subs were non-Japanese so a higher than average number of people were were uh, uh coming from outside of Japan to get this show which a couple things a it has to be a higher than average number because the percentage has gone up at the end two um we had two big english speaking foreigners in a very major event with Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. And it would be foolish not to credit both of them as big parts of what was driving 12,000 of 30,000 incremental subs. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure YouTube and, and daily motion are uh, really happy about that match too. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's just interesting there. So, you know, I think, if these numbers are right, it's less than 50%. So, you know, don't let people fool you and say that half of all the people that, that you know, added New Japan World are overseas. No, 40% is probably a, a closer number. But 30, 30%. Well, 40% of new. 30% overall. Okay. I'm I'm just kind of saying of the 12,000 of the 30,000 that got added for the year. Okay. So I'll, I'll sit I, down and do the math and I'll sort this out. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do a graph with colors. It's just it's interesting to me because it it speaks to the idea of, okay you've captured fans already last year. Now you're capturing new fans. What what's the proportion of those new fans? Where are they coming from? How how deep can you dig here? Yeah. yeah. And then what is the realistic ceiling on a service that is in Japanese with English commentary? And how does that compare to, say, the WWE Network, which is an English service with other people's commentary on top and you know what we find is about 70 percent stays kind of in your own ecosystem until you really commit to okay this is going to be all in spanish this is going to be all in german or whatever so in some ways you could say oh gosh you know is this the uh is this the natural evolution for new japan at this point because they're kind of getting there to that 70 30 split yeah so I guess uh, maybe maybe they'll continue to evolve at that rate. But I'm saying uh, I, I do wonder whether they can ever have disproportionately more international growth uh, than than domestic growth based on their system today. You know, maybe with a U.S. based touring schedule, you know, a U.S. incursion or Australian incursion or New Zealand incursion or whatever it's going to be. That will be the, the the thing that changes it. But kind of with a new Japan schedule as it sits today. Even using foreign stars and very high-profile things, the best you're ever going to do is maybe 30% of the people. Yeah, they would need some some more prominent reach of it beyond access, the TV network. Yep. Which yep. which we think they do maybe like 200,000 viewers a week on that. Is that is uh, that the real number? That's a lot. That's, that's the number ton. that Meltzer said a few years ago. Okay. That's a very good number, actually. So, but, but it also speaks to how many more people are watching it on that than are even subscribing. True, yeah. And I, th- and I think, look, look, they're leaving tons of money on the table as far as, like, I think most of the people in the United States who watched any part of Wrestle Kingdom watched it through illegitimate video links. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's always <laughs> no, it's it's always been that discussion about how big is piracy, how big you know, how big is digital piracy. People used to ask me that about you know, we have those wrestle, we have those um, uh, pay per view numbers from WWE in the Attitude Era where they did what was it, seven million buys or something in a year. And then if you were to actually factor in all the people that A, went out to the buddy's house to watch the event, or B, pirated it, it would be even higher. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not this isn't like a, a, I'm not decrying piracy and like, oh, those criminals, they, they should pay New Japan the money. But I'm just saying like, New Japan should make their service more uh, accessible to English-speaking consumers, which they have made some effort to, but there's still a lot of work to be done there. It's, it's very mild. I don't know, yeah. maybe AI will come along someday and automatically translate all this stuff for us and we'll all know exactly what we're reading, but yeah. Well, and it's also that idea of saying, I think, my, my friend's a translator, right? That's her job. And you can say to her, hey, isn't there Babblefish in Google Translate? Why do you need a job? And part of it is that you have to have context and cultural understanding of what you're presenting. And I think sometimes it can even get down to I don't know if websites in every country are designed with the same intent in terms of giving the same information the way that people expect it to be delivered, right? right. Language and is so, super weird. It's, you know, like it, even within wrestling, we have terms that we use only in a certain context that's particular to, to wrestling. And I'm, I'm, I would imagine I'm not by any means fluent in Japanese, but I would think that there are uh, instances of where certain words are being used with in relation to wrestling that are not used in hardly any other context, but within wrestling. And, and I even mean in the sense of like in Japan, press conferences are big, right? They do a lot of press conferences for big events. Right. We don't do press conferences in wrestling anymore here, except for, you know, once or twice a year. And they're usually sponsored by some, you know, Totino's pizza rolls presents WrestleMania. But we, but we should, that would be a more pure way to present pro wrestling. And I would be happy with that. But yeah. But my point is, so if the U.S. fans are going to the New Japan website and you're you're mixing the press conference stuff in with the matches, maybe that's not a great way of presenting that to them. Maybe it's better to say, here's your shows are up here. Here's your non-show content here. But in the Japanese context, maybe it's better to have it the other way. And I'm saying that cultural yeah, sensitivity and understanding, you might need a different website for the U.S. people to say, here's the way you're used to seeing this information. Here's how you want to get at it. Here's this Japanese fan. It's different. That's OK. And we don't have to, like, push people because I think that's what's lost in this kind of uh, uh, one size fits all marketing approach is that sometimes we don't realize, oh, the fan that likes this is used to seeing it presented this way. If the Japanese people are used to seeing it as sport present it like the way the sports websites are if the u.s fan is used to seeing it presented like a entertainment thing think of how wwe presents things short lists top tens articles continuous flow maybe that's better for them i don't know but it, it's just like i feel like the branding is more than just translation i think it's branding it to actually meet the needs of the consumer in that marketplace yeah that's a very good point they do have a, a japanese and english option so if you click on english it will translate uh, will translate most of what you're seeing but it's not like a, a perfect translation yeah and, yeah and it doesn't reorder the things is what i'm saying is that sometimes sometimes things are just i can't even tell like i remember i was trying to watch um uh the cmll uh new japan fantastic mania shows mm -hmm. and that's right you're a subscriber now yeah and i was having a heck of a time trying to get between the previews and the actual shows like i was having trouble figuring out which was which 
Well, all and the I, shows are under series. Don't you know that? Like, it's a series, of course. That's what, how we categorize all of our pro wrestling events. But series. I swear the preview show was also listed under series. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch the actual show. Like, it's that sort of thing where it's just like, it's a tiny thing. And I know that's that's me being in the ugly, dumb American. But it, it's about if you want to meet your consumer, you have to figure out what they want oh, that, to that, learn. That's friction. If I see series and I'm, I'm, I'm where I should see, like, if I'm a, a Western English speaking fan, I should see like events or shows like as, as it's called on the, the W network, you know? Yeah. So it's just that, what am I looking at? That idea of everyone hates redesigns. I get that. So I'm not saying they should redesign their whole site, but I am saying if you're going to make an English level site, it's not Japanese with English text. It's, a site that's been designed with a consumer that says, ah, this is how this person is thinking about how they're going to get this information. It requires like a Japanese world of web management and an English world of web management, like two different. Well, like a web team or a marketing team that is based in that local culture. And, you know, that said, I bet you if I go to www.co.jp, I'm going to see a website that looks a heck of a lot like WWE.com. But let's see. There's, there's no continuous scroll, though. You know, it does look a little different. I mean, I'm, I'm amused that the very first thing that comes up is a picture of a cake for some reason. <laughs> Are you seeing this as well? I'm, I'm, I'm at ngpw.co.jp? No, 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 no. WWE's, JP, WWE's um, Japan website, wwe.co.jp, which brings me to actually sportingnews.com slash jp slash WWE. How about that? Wow. I don't even know if yes. that is the de- – I don't even know if now this site is owned by WWE or this is Sporting News' site. Interesting. Yeah. And then if I click on the bottom for like which group it is, it takes me to like a UK division. <laughs> this is all things together. Oh, my. Yeah. I'm going to have to to, to crack this nut a little bit more later on. But just that idea of like you, you, you can't just translate your website and pretend that is – I think that really is WWE's um, official – uh, Japanese website though is yeah, that it looks like, looks, yeah, it looks like maybe they just outsourced it to Sporting News say hey r- r- run our W website for us in, but, in Japan they probably you know, have a strong Japanese office there or something yeah but wow, smart yeah. that's oh, right yeah. you're yeah, doing sure. it the right way and so that's my point it's a simple ah, thing that like going. I'm sure New Japan thinks of as an added cost but the now New when Japan it's 30% of your office Needs to call up Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza and say, "Hey, I know we've been flirting for a while, but what do you say? Run, run our Japanese, or run our English website for us." And they will, uh, they'll ask to to have a one-on-one conversation with Tiger Mask Four and uh, d- verify so we can get the Wikipedia absolutely correct. Who's under that mask? That's we still don't know, do we? I think we do. <laughs> He's been Tiger Mask for longer than all the other Tiger Masks. I know. Isn't that amazing? That's like one of those where you're like, oh, wow, the the one that everyone remembers lasts a year, and the one that no one remembers lasts 30 years. I think he was undefeated, like 81 to 83. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what's Next next week, we'll, we'll be doing a biography on the, the life and career of Satoru Siyama. But, uh, Super Tiger? Now, the Great Tiger? That's right. All Tiger the Tigers. King. Tiger King? Yeah. Uh, PWG, PWG yeah. moved its venue. It, it's been running at the American Legion in Reseda, California forever. And uh, their story is they oversold Front Row. So rather than uh, try to work it out within the American Legion itself, they've decided to move to the Globe Theater in Los Angeles. 
And uh, so that'll give them more front row space so they can accommodate those people that they accidentally sold front row tickets to. So uh, last I've seen, if we can, I'll go on the PWG website as I'm talking here, but uh, they're not selling any more tickets because of this. But uh, the, the capacity that I've seen, if you look at like Wikipedia, so who knows what that's really worth, but like the capacity is 2,000 according to a, a Wikipedia page. So it's at least a lot more than the roughly 400 that could fit in the American Legion. Uh, but as it stands right now, the, the Pro Wrestling Guerrilla official website where they're selling tickets, they still list all their tickets as sold out. And no walk-up ticket sales at the event. Right. It, well, it, I think I'm, that's something that they always put up there. So oh, I, I didn't know that. that. You know. I, I would have assumed, hey, you guys are playing a 2,000-seat arena, and you just don't want to sell the tickets until you know what tickets are available. You'll let me in. And so it's like, nope, don't even bother, which yes. – it's fascinating, too, because that just basically means all the money is already given to them that they're going to make for the show, because I assume all the merch money is going to the wrestlers themselves. Right, unless maybe PWG sells some of their own PWG-branded merch, which I, I can't even think of what that would look like. But, but yeah, I think this is a note. We're, we're talking about there's this note at the top of the, the tickets page on the PWG official website that says, please note, there will be no walk-up ticket sales at the event. Only fans with tickets purchased in advance will be admitted. But I think this is something that they put at the top of their page for every event to uh i think to to you know let people know hey in most cases it's just a 400 seat venue and you get and, it's and i can well in advance. yeah and i can see why you wouldn't want people to show up that don't have tickets to a, a small venue like that if you got a mm-hmm. big venue my guess is they didn't sell 2000 tickets already they sold right. some number less than that and you know they wanted to leave themselves some room but, no, that's but nonetheless, they're, they're dissuading people from walking up to the Globe Theater, which may or may not uh, hold a lot more than 400 people. So, Yeah, this will be fascinating to see what, what does it look like in there. The, the show is on March 23rd, which is a Friday. So we got about three weeks here before it will happen. And that's going to be two days before the Big New Japan show in Long Beach, really wow. close nearby. Okay, so so if you are a super duper fan, you could possibly fly in and try to hit both shows if you already had PWG tickets, right? Or if you can, maybe they're going to release some more. I don't know. But they did put out a tweet saying, um, "We're going to email you about something." That's this is a great, great, great news delivery, isn't it? If I if I can find the tweet, I will uh, repeat it here. Hmm. PWG official, right? Yeah, and then what is the um. Yeah, it, and it does also make you wonder about the bell time a little bit because it's going to be an 8 p.m. bell time. But PWG is famous for its super duper long shows. But I do think that uh, the Globe Theater is going to be a lot more strict about that sort of thing than the American Legion was. You think so? Yes. Yes. Because okay, here, here's, the, here's the tweets. Uh, by the way, the show is called Time is a Flat Circle and it's on Friday. So that that means – when when is the New Japan show? I keep forgetting. Is it the 24th or the 25th? New Japan Long Beach is on March. Good God. Where is it? March 25th. So it's two days later on Sunday. So anyway, uh, they, they said uh, if you bought a front row general admission ticket that came through after the set limit in PayPal, you will be receiving an email soon. So who knows how many tickets they really oversold. Maybe they've sold so many of them that it's going to going to, I don't know. Who knows how many hundreds of people are going to be in that building. Uh, emails have been sent out to everyone with front row tickets that were over the limit. Please check the email attached to your PayPal account. Also, make sure you 
make sure to check your junk mail folder. Um, so, but yeah. but kudos to them for not getting in a situation where they just basically said, I'm sorry, we oversold, you didn't get your tickets, which I think has kind of happened to people before where they thought they had PWG tickets and they didn't. That's yeah, um, familiar. And so kudos to them for, you know, finally moving ahead and admitting that maybe – you can take your artisanal wine to more than the 400 people that want to see it. And you know I, what? I heard someone make the joke like, uh, all right, PWG finally you know, made an accident, you know, mistook their way into getting into a bigger venue. Yeah, they're failing, they're failing upwards. Maybe they'll also uh, screw something up and uh, start doing video streaming. Yeah, on accident, that they, they'll, they'll hit the wrong button on the camera and it'll accidentally send a live stream out to everybody. Um, but it, it's great that they're doing that. I do like the fact that it gives them a back, a, a way out. You know, because if you say we're doing this, but it's because we screwed up, then it's easy to say. But normally we're at this other event, and this way you don't get lock yourself into okay. From now on, we're at a two thousand seat right. arena, and so. You know, for, you don't have to like dismount if it if it doesn't go well. Yeah, and so they're trying because we talked a lot about that about you know the optics of some of these things like New Japan is if New Japan does giant shows but then they don't all sell out that's worse than sometimes doing shows that sell out every time. Um, the, the the optics of coming and then seeming like you're doing less the second time you come to town even if you make more money can hurt you people care more about wwe you know doing another show of a hundred thousand people in australia uh regardless of what the gate is just because they can say it's a hundred thousand people because right. the optics are good we may talk about that later yeah so i i think it's exciting that that new japan um i'm sorry new japan that pwg is doing that i think it's going to be interesting to see you know this this list of talent is talent but it's not names right if you are if you are a casual fan, you're lucky if you know two people on this card. You, you're lucky if you remember Zack Saber Jr. was in the the Cruiserweight Classic, and uh, Will Osprey, you know, something like that. Uh, because all the rest of the people, Jack Atlas, El, Eli Everfly, Doug James, Brody King, Ray Horace, Joey Janela. Well, I think that that, that that match in particular is kind of a troll on people who were, I think, questioning Brody King being on the card last time because he's a local guy. And, oh, this is PWG. We don't book locals. And I think they responded by, let's just do a four-way with four locals. Oh, is that what they – they're all local I th- guys? I think that's what's going on. There. Got it. Ray I'm Hor- not terribly familiar with I don't. – I've never heard any of those other three names, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Jonah, Jonah Rock and Bandito and Flamita and Adam Brooks versus Will Ospreay and Matt Riddle – you know, Chuck Taylor versus Keith Lee is the main event. Like those are great wrestling matches, but they have zero deep name value to casual, casual fans. Some people might have heard of Matt Riddle. You know, he he made a good name for himself there. And Chuck Taylor is talented as hell, but sure. people do not know Chuck Taylor outside of the indie, indie, indie wrestling circles. In the Twitter circles. I think that what happens for a lot of people is like regardless of whether you're familiar with a lot of these people or not, you go to the PWG show and everybody's experience normally is wow, what what an atmosphere, what a unique thing. Ron, Ron Jeremy wasn't at PWG because he's a work rate nut. No, exactly. It was a it was a hot thing. So it's it's, a cool it's thing to do. It, it's clear that you know they're they're still getting that, and I think it's great that they're able to produce a show with this kind of level of talent, which, you know, you're not using a Rey Mysterio or something where you can then say, okay, this is our one give me, gimme yeah. to make sure that we can do it. And it's but still a work rate guy, but, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and here, let's get into this. Here's something we didn't even mean to talk about, but, like, look look at this uh, 
this card. And like we said, there is that four-way match. It looks like they've just booked four locals for the sake of it. Um, has WWE really fished the indies to the point where, like, I, I feel like PWG is kind of the... Uh, once you get booked in PWG, first of all, it's probably going to be a flight for you. And now you're like, you get sort of broadcast to the rest of the indie world, the rest of the fans and promoters as you're, you're bonafide as an indie name now because you work this place, especially if you work it more than once or twice. I know there's people who have cups of coffee here and there, but uh, you get booked regularly in PWG. I, and I've even heard, you know, some people, they get booked regularly in PWG and then they start asking for more money from their other promoters, from the other promotions that they work. Oh, so, yeah. But I mean, but I look at the, WWE. Look at I think has mm-hmm. has probably WWE has at least four of these guys on their radar already. That right. you know, there's no way they don't know Jeff Cobb. They know Will Osprey. They know Zack Saber Jr. They know Keith Lee. You know, those are Matt guys. Riddle. Huh. Pardon me. And Matt Riddle. They know Matt Riddle. Uh, they know Matt Riddle very well. I mean, so I mean, like they have those guys on there. There's questions about you know some of them have outright rejected Zack Saber Jr. Some of them have outright. Um, indicated that they're not willing to to really give up their style today, like Will Osprey. Um, some, you know, I would question whether or not everyone on this card could pass a drug test for well, WWE. Matt, Matt Riddle has said outright that when he had when he did the tryout and he had his talk with with management or whatever, he was he was very uh, I don't know, opinionated about his position on marijuana and it should be legalized and this and that, and uh, they were not comfortable with that. It seemed. Yep, and he's, yep. he's like, he's like, yeah, that's what they think, and that's okay, and I'm, I'm doing well for myself here. I'm very happy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and a few of these people also have New Japan deals that I don't know how, how sure New- Osprey does. And Osprey has said things like he's not going to WWE, and I think Zack Sabre Jr. was offered something after the Cruiserweight Classic, but he's happier doing what he's doing. Yeah, and and you know with with mexican guys you like i don't, I don't know if bandito and flamita are mexican wrestlers i think they are <laughs> I, I don't know are they the the, the the lucha silence from this podcast uh probably yeah Fl- uh, i'm pretty sure flamita is uh yeah he's a he's a triple a guy or he was a triple a guy yeah flamita uh, is a mexican luchador yes yes okay i thought so but i just meant in terms of we never know which guys are or are not on the radar for WWE when it comes to that, because, you know, WWE obviously has, you know, different people that are getting fed into them. And it has a lot to do with, you know, what kind of visa do they have? What kind of language proficiency do they have? appears to be a Puerto Rican wrestler. Okay. Uh, so, so before Rob Viper sends me an angry tweet, uh, we, we did look it up. Um, and he's been wrestling for dragon gate in Japan. Okay. I, I don't know. Okay. But, um, just yeah i think you're right that that no the the indies if your if your original point was is the indie scene decimated because wwe has hired away all the good talent the answer is no the indie scene is still thriving and in fact you could argue it's it's in some ways growing faster than ever because there's more acceptance of the idea that you can sell a brand and whether or not who's on that brand we we know that they're the brand is going to deliver enough so and I, th- I think as time's gone on, people are more willing to engage in the social media, which is the the medium that these people have to use to get over to become stars to whatever degree that they do become stars via social media. Uh, so I think that's happening, that's growing. But I think at the same time, WWE is harvesting this uh, this world of indie wrestlers and uh, putting a lot of people under contract more than they really have space to do anything with them with. 
Yeah, and so that either opens up the possibility that you start international development territories where then, you know, you make a UK one or Canadian one or a Mexican one or a Indian one or a Chinese one or, you know, you, you choose some other place in the world to basically run a, a camp. And one of the advantages of that, too, is that, you know, people that might have trouble getting to and from the U.S. and getting work visas might not have nearly as much trouble in some of these other countries getting there and living there and being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think either either they do that successfully or they have a lot of people under contract who are unhappy long term and eventually just become unhappy enough to want to leave. And uh, who knows what that will entail? Yeah, because because, again, a lot of these people leaving, they, they might just be bobsled, you know, guys that got hired or power lifters or things like that that are never going to go on to wrestling again. Well, or, or they're Cody's. Yeah. Or they're um, and then there's Emma's. that sub subdivision of wrestlers that are, you know, that. But but those are the weird ones, too, because in a sense, I wonder how many indie guys got hired that aren't getting used. There's a lot more bodies that are just standing around who are the new guys that they're trying to teach how to become wrestlers. Are there indie – I mean someone brought up I think um, – was it – Bix brought up last week. Was it – Bix brought up Gunner. Gunner apparently has been in WWE developmental for a year just kind of hanging out. And I wasn't even like, oh, yeah, I kind of know that when he said that. Yeah. Well, but pretty much if I name anyone in, in TNA, if they didn't get hit in the face this last week, they probably are, are in WWE developmental right now in fact. All right. Well, we have been um, WrestleNomics Radio. WrestleNomics Radio is brought to you every single week here in the United States of America, states of Minnesota, New York, by Mr. Mukigana Harrington and Mr. Howard Thurston, Brandon the Third. Um, we are broadcasting worldwide. We are not localized. We are only in English. <laughs> yeah, it's really upsetting to our uh, our Hindi viewers out there. But uh, plugs, Mookie. Can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mookie Ghana, and you can always email the show at russellnomics at gmail.com. I'll be posting uh, an address that if people want to send any cards to um, uh, my wife, our family, her family, uh, feel free to send them to the address I'll post on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. You can read all my written work at Wrestling Inc. Sometimes they even appear on the post-Raw podcast that they do every Monday night right after Raw, you can check that out. It's got Matt Morgan on it, Raj Geary and Glenn Rubenstein. And uh, you can yeah, you can follow me on all the social medias at Farmer Thurston on Instagram. I'm posting some exciting videos of me Yo, looking into the mirror, which you can check out. Why why were you wearing like a like sleep mask and like holding a phone oh. like a madman? It was the, the you look like like a like a, a Riddler mask or something. It was so bizarre. Yeah. What was that about? Uh, well, it's just uh, it's just art. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I I have like you know what that is. That's like the uh, the cold pack that you can put on your face. Because sometimes I don't know. I have like bags under my eyes, and my, my my face doesn't always cooperate with me. So sometimes I have to cool it down and lower the swelling. My goodness, he's he's concerned about his appearance here. So if you are a a uh, eye supplement maker and you would like yeah. to hear and be reviewed and endorsed on the show, please reach out mm-hmm. to Farmer Thurston. That's all right. If you if you do a you know if you uh, sell creams for uh, reducing the dark circles around your eyes, so it looks less like you've only slept for like two hours, then then uh, contact us. If you go to Patreon.com/RussellNomics, you'll be able to hear the bonus audio. This week, we're going to talk about Mania weekend ticket sales. We're going to talk about the WWN Flow Sports lawsuit. We're going to talk about uh, 
the sanctions for Kairos and the CTE lawsuit. We're going to talk about that Australian pay-per-view that WWE might be running. And of course, no show is complete without some kind of India spotlight with WWE news this week. Patreon.com slash Russellnomics. Only $5 a month gets you access to not only the show notes, but all of the bonus audio we're doing. And we average at least an hour of audio per week. Okay, great, everybody. Bye. So I'll, let, let me just, like, I'll uh, go through an intro as well now. Yes. Too, right? Yes. Coming up on WrestleNomics Radio. Yeah. Vascularity of Brock Lesnar. Yeah. The striations of Fox Sports executives. Yeah. The granularity of George Berrios. We're going to have to start selling supplements pretty soon. Kind of a lighthearted question, but I'm a diehard uh, New England Patriots fan, so I have to ask, is, uh, is Rob Gronkowski going to retire and, and come to the WWE? I don't know, but I'm a diehard WWE fan. I hope so. <laughs> I'm a diehard WWE fan. <laughs> Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.